I'd forgotten that it was all about a pie. <laughs> How could you forget? That's the main plot line. <laughs> no, the main plot line is the man in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> there will be ass jokes, so just I am warning it, you. It was a mule. And I, <laughs> you, they made mules by breeding female horses with donkeys. So they're that's the, how you get a mule. They are, at the very least, half jackass. Half ass. Yes, they are half ass. And I really should have saved that joke for the show. Yes, you should have. The Man of Scream. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 47 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we are looking at episodes 11 and 12 of season 3 of The Adventures of Superman. Can you believe it, folks? 11 and 12. Almost done with season 3. And I've got Bob Fisher with me again. Hello. Hey, how are you tonight? How you doing, Bob? I'm okay. How are you, Mike? I'm, I'm doing all right. Well, good. I came, you know, I wanted to come back for a season three episode because, well, season three is the best season of them all. <coughs> oh, gee, what was that in my throat? Did you say that out loud? Yeah, I did, didn't I? <clears throat> See, I, I have a hard time when I say stuff that isn't true. <laughs> but uh, I thought this would be fun, the one we're doing tonight. We're doing a couple episodes tonight. and You've talked about this one in the past. I have mentioned this before in the past for two reasons primarily. The pie and, of course, Chuck Connors. Yeah. So that's probably why I talk about this particular episode. And uh, there's a scene or two when we get to it that I'm surprised George and Chuck actually got through the scene. Looks like they were having a good old time off camera. And I think George and Ben Weldon did as well. Yes, Yes, I think so too. You know, I don't know how, I don't know, we'll talk about this later a little bit. I don't know how, you know, it worked with casting the heavies, but I wonder if they kind of wrote this one with him in mind. Oh yeah, I think this is tailor-made for him. Right. But you know, it's pretty funny because like shows, a lot of TV shows, I even noticed this, you know, I'm a big fan of Columbo. I think Columbo is probably in my top 10 favorite series of all time. But they did this, too. They didn't use them as much as, like, Superman did. Right. Recurring characters playing a lot of different parts. But Columbo did it. Most TV shows have done this before, all the way into practically into the 80s, where these serial-type shows would have an actor or two that came back and played many, many, many different parts. As an actor in Columbo, and I can't remember his name, a little guy, and he's very funny. Sometimes he has played the owner of a high-end clothing store where all your suits are measured and made for you. He's played a maitre d' at restaurants. He's played restaurant owners. He's played uh, a drunk. He's played, But he keeps coming back. Right. And he wears a little bit of makeup or a mustache or a hat or clothes. And you don't really know it's him 
until about halfway through the show when you go, hey, that's the guy that was on last week. But he was the waiter last week. This week, he's the, you know, the Skid Row bum. Right. You know, well, the, the, Superman was great at doing that. Right. They did that a lot. The the uh, space shows are good at it, too. Star Trek and the Star Trek franchise and Babylon 5 got away with it quite well. Because you know what? You bring a guy back, you dress him up as an alien, and who knows unless you recognize his Exactly. Voice. Exactly. Put him in a, you know, a different headgear. And he's a, I think one of the famous ones for Star Trek, though, was Mark Leonard who his first appearance, he was a Romulan right. in one of my favorite episodes of all time, Balance of Terror. And he and Kirk are going at each other in a, just a terrific, terrific right. episode. And uh, he played a Romulan who died at the end of that. Right. Later that season, no, I think it was second season. Second he came season, back. yeah. Second season, he came back and, of course, became Spock's father. And that ended his Reoccurring characters, else. yeah. He couldn't be other aliens after your Spock's dad. One, uh, one character that comes to mind, actor rather, on Star Trek is Jeffrey Combs. He yeah. played a lot of it, different aliens on. He was Wei Yun on Deep Space Nine. He played an Endorian on Enterprise. So he was one of those guys who played a lot of different aliens. Exactly. Uh, who was the actor, by the way, that played Neelix? Ethan Phillips. Ethan Phillips was also in a couple of recurring, and because he wore so much makeup. Uh, Quark was everywhere on TV. He was on Law and Order. He was on, oh, and to tie this even to more Kirk and, and Star Trek, Shatner was on that, was it Boston Legal? Yeah. Boston Legal. Also on Boston Legal as one of the main partners in the law firm was Rene Arbogenois. Right. Arbogenois, who was... Oda. Oda. I was thinking Clayface. Oh, <laughs> so close of. enough. Right. But yeah, he played Odo. But uh, Quark was also on that series, and he played uh, several different characters. And he came on, uh, which was interesting, because without makeup, the first time I saw him without the big ears, I didn't realize it was him. Right, yeah. It was great. So I love that kind of stuff, character actors and stuff. But uh, tonight's episodes that we're going to be talking about tonight. Right, so we've got that one, and we're going to get our first appearance of Phil Teed. In the Seven Souvenirs, although Phil Teed will not be playing the role we're most familiar with him in. Mm -mm. He will not be a crazy professor of any kind here. No, he, he'll be a crazy shop owner. Bef before we move on to them, uh, I've got uh, some email here from Dave McElvenny. Hi, Dave. Yeah, hey, Dave. Dave is writing about episode 42, which you were on, Bob. Ooh, cool. This was the episode where we talked about Through the Time Barrier and the Talking Clue. Mm. And believe it or not, this is we're almost done with season three already. Well, season three only has 13 yeah. episodes. It feels like just yesterday we were recording the first episode of this. Yes. All right, so Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Congratulations on having a podcast now in color. <laughs> I was glad to hear you and Bob Fisher say that many of the episodes in the color seasons can be described as silly, and that silly doesn't necessarily mean bad. As a kid in the 1960s, I watched The Adventures of Superman on one of the local UHF stations, back when many TVs didn't receive UHF signals without an additional UHF converter box. Mm -hmm. And since we didn't have color TV at the time, I didn't know for several more years that these episodes were in color. Even Like so, many of us, yeah. Right. None of us. They didn't broadcast them in color until much later. Right. Even so, I could sense a change of tone from the earlier seasons, especially from the first season. Mm -hmm. And through the time barrier, there were some plot inconsistencies, some of which you and Bob pointed out. But I think you missed the most glaring one. Lois Lane, ace reporter, never asked Superman the obvious question when he first showed up in 50,000 B.C. How did you know we got sent into the past in the first place? And how did you know what time period to look for us? <laughs> 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 
Yeah, that's kind of an obvious question. (laughs) How'd you get here? And, oh, wait a minute, how could you? Yeah, we were so concerned, I guess, with the fact that he got there, but then couldn't get back. So, yeah, how does he keep all of that from, yeah, good question. Good gosh. I'm going to uh, use the uh, Peter Vakeman logic from Ghostbusters 2. Well, there's so many holes in First Avenue, we really didn't think anyone would notice. (laughs) Right. So... As far as Lois knows, Superman wasn't around when Professor Twiddle sent the people in that elevator back to the Stone Age. So there's no reason he'd be looking for them in the past, let alone precisely which time they were in. Or maybe he was flying over the X-ray vision. Yeah, good point. As far as they know, we know we know better. And back to Dave. The fact that he couldn't explain how he traveled through time and couldn't travel back on his own actually really aren't that strange, if you think about it. This is the first time, on the show at least, that he traveled through time, so he might not completely understand exactly how he did it, or exactly how to reverse it. Okay. And there's a lot of time in this show without time travel that he can't explain what he's doing. (laughs) Like you, the scene from The Talking Clue that I remember most strongly from viewing this as a boy is the scene on the planet when they're trying to figure out the meaning of the tape-recorded clues. It seems to me similar to those scenes in the much later series, Hawaii Five-O, in Steve McGarrett's office, where McGarrett would be writing clues in grease pen on the big glass board, and suddenly he'd start snapping his fingers, repeating whatever was the important clue, before getting that light bulb moment to solve the case. (laughs) I used to watch all those too. Yeah, I remember. I remember Hawaii Five O being on. It was probably on a syndication by then. By the time I remember watching it, but well, I used to like the uh, the main actor, the guy that played Steve Garrett. He was also from a western. Jack Lord. Yeah, Jack Lord. I think the western was Stony Burke or something like that. I forget the name exactly, but yeah, he was. I guess all of the actors in the sixties and seventies started in westerns in the fifties. Dave continues. I like that we met Bill Henderson's son in this episode because we got a sense of his personal life, which was pretty rare in the series. We really see Henderson as a father and a cop who loves his son, but worries that somehow he might go bad, as in his job, he's probably seen kids from good families who have gone bad. You know, the mean streets of Metropolis and all. Right, right. Well, nurture versus nature. Yeah, you know, that, that happens, you know. Sometimes, no matter what you do. Yeah, sometimes, go sometimes. go wrong. Clearly, he worries that, as a single dad, he might be failing his son. He is not just a good guy, he's a good man. Of course, Clark, with Superman's innate faith in the goodness of people, has more faith in Ray than Bill Henderson does. And Clark has great faith in Bill, too. As you mentioned, this all works so well because it's obvious that George Reeves and Robert Shane were friends. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be great if we all had a friend like Clark Kent? Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I don't know of any connection between either George Reeves or Clark Kent and Lou Chambers. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for another fun episode. Hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a happier, healthy New Year. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. And that's from Dave. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Dave. We appreciate it. Dave makes some good points. He does. Dave always makes some good points. Yes. And we missed it. <laughs> I'm not sure what we missed. Well, there was a lot. There was. was. There was a lot going on. We could have gone more. We were picking out, we picked out a lot of stuff on Time Barrier. Yeah, we did. And we did kind of talk about the fact that Superman couldn't really explain time travel. Right. Yeah. It, it, time travel in itself is really tricky. And then you start adding superheroes to it. And I even read current comic books and, and something happened in one of the Flash comics recently. And Flash, it's always tricky. Right. Because here you got a guy that can go from one end of the town to the other, get you an ice cream cone and come back in less than a second. Just zip, zip, here you are. I'm back. I'm uh, really, really, really super fast. I see everything super, super fast. 
But then somebody can open a vortex hole, grab your girlfriend, and sneak her away right in front of you. How is that possible? If you're so fast, as soon as that thing happens, why don't you just slow it down and move her out of the way? How could anything ever get past you if, you know, you're that fast? Plot. Plot, exactly. So you really have to be careful with it. And you have to be, you know, as a reader of these kinds of things and a viewer of superhero stuff, there is a certain amount of disbelief that you really have to suspend. You really have to say, okay, I buy the bit or I buy the premise, as Johnny Carson used to say. If you buy the premise, you'll buy the bit. So we have bought the premise of superheroes. So unless they do something really stupid and outrageous and do it blatantly, we're pretty much ready to kind of let that go if it advances the story and isn't too clumsy. Right. Sometimes some of these color episodes are a little clumsy getting where they need to be. Yes, they are. But but George Reeves, kind of like we were talking earlier about Chris Reeves making those Superman movies, uh, without him, they'd be entirely different movies. Oh, absolutely. Without George Reeves, these I don't think any of these shows would stand up without George. I don't know of anyone who could have. George is George is definitely the glue. A absolutely that that holds this thing together. Absolutely. You know, certain people said that Kirk Allen was really upset when they started this, that he should have gotten the part. And as much as I enjoy, particularly uh, Adam Man. Kirk Allen turned it down. He would not have done well in this, I don't think. It would have not been the right show for him. Mole Men was offered to Kirk Allen. Yeah, I heard that Mole Men was, was offered to him. And he turned it down. And I'm glad he did. Because after two serials, he was fearing being typecast as Superman, so. Right. But I'm glad he turned it down because George was absolutely perfect in Molman. Just large and in charge, looking good. Right. I must admit, in the third season, if you've noticed now the difference in his color of his costume, by the way, since we're in color now, NBC. In living color. The blue of Superman's costume here in the third season is a shade. uh, Well, this is, you know, first color. So. Right. But we will you'll see it change as the seasons progress. The red is pretty much red. And in, I noticed in, in watching today again that uh, I just popped disc two in, which is these are the last two episodes on disc. Right. Two. Yeah, it starts with uh, Olsen's Millions. Olsen's Millions and Outlaw. Right. Ugh. Outlaw was an OK episode. But I was noticing that the red just looks gorgeous. This is just bright, bright gorgeous red but the blue will change i noticed a little bit of a change in seven souvenirs between that the uh, blue looked a lot lighter it might have been i'm not sure when the when the costumes but they they tweaked them throughout the remainder of the season to try to get them to look good in color but also have a contrast red and right. blue look so similar in black and white. In black and white. So And let's face it, the color correction in these episodes isn't always consistent either. No, it really isn't. I've so, seen I've watched scenes where it's changed. Right. Where the color is to just seem to change. Right. Yeah, but I saw that in the in Superman three, I guess it was three, as he's flying towards the screen, his costume is green or turquoise. That was blue. the first one, I believe. Wasn't because I thought he was when in that scene where he's they're shooting the missiles at him. Maybe it maybe turns then too, into like a video game. Maybe then too, but I remember especially in the first movie when he's flying toward uh, 
Hoover Dam, which is chroma keyed behind him. Oh yes, yes, they you're would, right. There is they had to give him a greenish costume because otherwise you know, this, it, it would have interfered with the then blue screen technology. Right, right. Yeah, blue was never a great choice, even though back in those days they were still working on it. Right. The nice thing about the shade of green that they have finally now chosen is, is it doesn't really appear in nature anywhere. No. That's not a natural green. So, and that's the real trick is to make it be a color that is just not going to interfere with anything else. And that was probably why they had to go. If, the, if I don't remember if this green is Superman three, but yeah, next time you get a chance, pop in number three, and you can even just fast forward closer to the end when he's in that part that gets almost like a digital video game of the time. Yeah, and they switched from the digital video looking game, the eight bit game, to Superman himself flying. And I wanted that game. Yeah, we all did. Yeah, yes, we did. Okay, where are we? Where are, see, I'm taking us right off tangent here. I'm just taking yeah. us. Oh, well, why don't we take a quick break? We'll play a promo, and then we'll come back with Flight to the North. Woohoo! Hang around, folks. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Flight to the North. And I'm still here. That's good. Our original broadcast date was October 1st, 1955. Writer was David Chandler. And director was George Blair. Hello, George Blair. Guest cast include Chuck Connors as Sylvester J. Superman. Ben the Weldon. Rifleman. Yes, the Rifleman. Ben Weldon, a series veteran at this point. Yeah. As leftover Louis Lyman. I love him. He is so fun. I just really like this guy a lot. Who, Ben Weldon or leftover Louis? Uh, Ben Weldon, but yeah. yeah, but he's done some great characters. Yes, he has. This isn't the last time he'll be on <laughs> the Adventures of Superman either. No, we're not. We're gonna we're gonna see him. I know he's in the Cube episode. He's in the Cube. He's in uh, one of my favorite of all time episodes with the Green Kryptonite Ray, where Perry teaches uh, the levitation. Oh, oh, that one, yeah. I don't know what uh, one that is off the top of my head, but I know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about. either which one that is, but the cube is on that one. The levitation one is in that one. But he goes from being in, which I love this guy because sometimes he's the mob boss, other times he's just you know the mobster, just a guy. So he goes back and forth, but and he plays them all pretty well, right? But it's always a a comic role. I've noticed usually. Usually, Usually with him. He was the boss in the dog episode where obviously right. the episode wasn't played. This is a very comic part. Even in season one appearance in The Mind Machine, he was kind of the comic relief. Right. And then there's another one coming up where I forget which one it is, what the, the main point of the episode is. But Lois talks. He's not the boss. But Lois talks him into 
stealing the boss's money and she's going to be his gun mom. Oh, right. Where his his henchman and Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, henchman. I remember Jimmy gives this line that he only ever wanted to be in life was a henchman. (laughs) See, that's a funny. And I forget the name of that episode. I forget which episode that is, too. But that that is a good one. That's a funny one, too. So there's plenty of them. So this this character actor here, this guy, is really, really fun. And I smile when I see him on screen. And what I realized was we have Richard Garland as Steve Emmett. George Chandler is Herman Hicks, the hotel manager. We've seen George Chandler before once. He was uh, Scratchy in The Face and the Voice. There you go, Scratchy. I was trying to remember the episode. Yes, The Face and the Voice, Scratchy. He might make another. He might come back. I think he comes back too, yeah. And he was also big time in Westerns. He played bartenders, card people, piano player in one Western, and a terrible piano player faking it badly. But yeah. A lot of these actors were around. Yeah. And, and who played the uh, other guy that they're having the bet with? And Ra- Ralph Sanford is Buckets. Ralph Sanford. Okay. He's been around a while, too. Yeah. Interesting cast. It is. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Your number one source on the web for Superman information. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A tall, muscular person in overalls has just entered the crumbly hotel with his, with his mule, Lily Bell. Herman Hicks, the manager, cannot believe what he sees at the reception desk. Why can't I just see pink elephants like everybody else? This sure ain't no pink elephant, mister. This she has Lily Bell, best little mule in Skunk Hollow County. Skunk Hollow County? Yep, that's where we're from. Never been to the big city before. Sign the register. Now, uh, what about Lily Bell here? Oh, don't fret none about her. I'll just keep her in a room with me. Sylvester J. Superman. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Superman, but hotel regulations don't allow us to... Superman? Superman? Yep, that's me. It can't be. It just can't. Or can it? I keep this around just in case of trouble. Now, if you're really Superman, you can bend this iron bar into a horseshoe. You city folks sure learn fast. How'd you know I was the strongest man in Skunk Hollow County? That's good enough for me, Superman. I don't know why you're wearing that disguise and dragging that mule around, but I know you have your reasons, and it's good enough for me. I ain't quite sure what you're driving at, sir. Don't worry, Superman. I'll play right along with you. Take room 18. Just go through the door, turn down the hall to the left. It sure is a pleasure to find Skunk Hollow hospitality in the big city. Take it kindly. (laughs) You kill me, Superman. What an act. Superman staying at my hotel. Now, leftover Louis Lyman has spent the last five years in the state penitentiary, thanks to articles written by Clark Kent in the Daily Planet. Apparently, police work had nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lyman is waiting for Kent in, the, in his office to give him a piece of his mind. Hi. Hello. Can I help you? You don't recognize me, do you, Mr. Kent? Well, you seem familiar, but I can't quite place you. You placed me once, all right. Placed me right in the state pen. Oh, sure, now I remember. Leftover Louis Lyman. That's right, Mr. Kent. Just graduated yesterday. You know, if it hadn't been for those articles you wrote, I might have got off with six months instead of five years. I wrote it the way I saw it, Louis, and you know yourself, you deserved that five years for the bank job. Okay, okay, I, I ain't complaining. I just wanted you to know that there ain't no hard feelings. I appreciate that, Louis. I thought you would. 
Don't let it happen again, see? That depends on you, Louie. You behave yourself and I won't bother you. You mind your business, Kent, and I'll mind mine. Get it? Sure, I get it. Good. See you around, pal. Something tells me you're going to be my business, Louie. Leftover has returned to his room, which happens to be in the same hotel in which Sylvester J. Superman is staying, which actually has nothing to do with the plot, but... That they're both staying in the same hotel. Right. I know. That's just it's, a coincidence. Yeah. And Metropolis. Right. The low, the mobster who doesn't have a must, enough money because they're keeping, keeping right. a low profile. And a country bumpkin coming to the, quote, big city for the first time, coincidentally staying at the same hotel. There, Lyman finds his partner and friend Buckets. What I missed most was lemon meringue pie. You're kidding. Well, you should see the way my Aunt Tilly used to make them. Uh, your Aunt Tilly couldn't even light the oven for Margie's lemon meringue pie. I resemble that leftover. Yeah? Yeah. Where do you get off insulting my Aunt Tilly? What? And besides, who's this Margie Dame? Margie Holloway. We grew up on the same street. <laughs> I used to pick up a buck cutting the Holloway lawn when I was a kid. Every Saturday afternoon. And Margie'd come out and bring me a big hunk of lemon meringue pie hot out of the oven. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I'll bet you half of the 50 grand that my Aunt Tilly could bake rings around her. Why, your Aunt Tilly... You mean that? Sure I mean it. Bucket, you got yourself a bet. You get a fresh pie from your Aunt Tilly, and I'll get one from Margie. Yeah, and then we get the first newsboy we see, and he can be the impractical judge. Uh, you mean the impartial judge. Eh, what's the difference? Oh. Okay, it's a deal. Yeah. We meet 6 o'clock Thursday. Winner take all. But remember, if you don't bring a pie, you lose automatic. Uh, I ain't seen Margie for nearly 10 years, but I'll get a pie out of her somehow. See you Thursday, 6 o'clock. It's a deal. So Sylvester J. Superman is reading the classifieds in the Daily Planet when something catches his eye. And I might add he's reading them rather poorly. R.D. Please come home. All is forgiven. J.D. Now, not responsible for any debts but my own. Herkimer Bedlam. <laughs> you like that? Superman. Need your help immediately. Please contact... Superman? That's me. Hey, Lily Bell. How'd someone know we was in town? Superman, need your help immediately. Please contact Margie Holloway. Apartment D, Surf Hotel. Yeah, Lily Bell. I reckon the city's not much different from Skunk Hollow with that. There's only two ways to treat a neighbor. You help him out or you shoot him out. I reckon we better help this one, huh? Sure beats me, though, the way folks knows about you before you hardly even gets here. Come on, Lily Bell. Come on, Lily Bell. Clark Kent has also read Margie's request for Superman. He heads for her address not knowing that he will meet up with another Superman very soon. In the meantime, leftover Louis Lyman is trying everything he can to get his hands on the lemon meringue pie she had just made. 
Well, well, well. If it ain't the same old Margie. Same old Margie? Yeah. Don't you remember me? Louie Lyman. Louie, you used to mow our lawn. That's right. But I thought... Well, I read in the papers that you were... Away? Well, you read it right, Margie. Well, how did you find me? I went back to the old house and they gave me your new address. Well, if it's a little money you need, Louie, well, I'm sure no, I... No, 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 I don't need no money, Margie. Well, what do you want? Well, this is gonna sound kind of funny, but all I want is this pie. I didn't expect you to have it all ready for me. This isn't for you. Besides, you didn't come here for just a pie. Honest, Margie. All those five years in the clink, I did nothing but dream about your pies. About those Saturday afternoons when you'd... you'd bring me a hunk on those pink plates. Oh, I'm sorry, Louie, but you can't have it. Well, what am I asking for? Just one little pie. I'm complimented that you remember, Louie. But I baked this one for someone very special. Huh? Who's so special? His name is Steve. He's my fiance. Oh. He's in the Air Force up in Alaska. Uh, Alaska? What does he do? Guard the icebergs? Well, he's stationed in a little radio shack just 50 miles outside of Iceville. Yeah? Well, so, so you can bake him another pie. This is Steve's pie. Okay, okay. Then bake another one for me. I can't, Louie. I promised Steve before he went away that I wouldn't bake lemon meringue pies for anybody but him. Listen, kid. I want this pie, see? Listen, you give that Sorry, back. Sorry, Marge, no can do. Why, you, how can you... Look at it this way. By the time the pie got to him, it'd be as stale as, as last year's news. Well, not if it goes the way I planned it, won't. Hmm? Who's that? Well, I don't know, but you'd better put that box down, because now I have a witness, and you'll be back in jail for robbery. Okay. But you ain't seen the last of me. Oh, I don't know who you are, but you certainly came in the nick of time. I'm Superman, ma'am. I seen you share advertising, ma'am. You? Superman? Yes, ma'am. Now, if you need help, like it well, says... Well, come in, please. Thank you, ma'am. I had to leave Lilybell tied up outside. Oh, yes, of course. You had to leave Lilybell tied up outside. Uh, Lilybell's my mule. Your mule? Yep. I never expected to find so many hitching posts in a big city. Those are parking meters. Parking meters? <laughs> well, I reckon you gotta have a fancy name for such fancy hitching posts. Are you sure you're Superman? Well, I reckon I ought to know who I am, ma'am. Now, what's his help you been needing? Well, um... Well, first of all, I'd like to have the piano moved over there. Glad oblige, ma'am. It took four men to bring that piano in here. Four? Shucks, they must have been awful little men. Well, I'm convinced you're Superman. But I certainly didn't expect you to look like this. I mean... Well, shucks, I don't look like this all the time, ma'am. You should see me in my Sunday overalls. <laughs> well, it's none of my business why you're putting on some kind of act, Superman. But I appreciate your sense of humor. <laughs> it makes you seem more human. Oh, excuse me. It seems somebody has put an open house sign on my door. Miss Holloway? 
Yes. I'm Clark Kent of the Daily Planet. I've come in reference to your ad. Clark Kent, why, I'm a great admirer of yours. Oh? Come in, I'll introduce you to Superman. Oh, you will? You mean Superman's here? Yes, in person. Well. Superman? Yes, ma'am? I'd like you to meet Mr. Kent. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Kent. On the contrary, it's I that's pleased to meet you, Superman. I was just about to tell Superman why I needed him. Yeah, yes, I'd like to hear that, too. Well, first of all, I'd like to make my annual contribution to charity. And I'd like you to do with it as you see fit. This here is a powerful lot of money, ma'am. What am I supposed to do for it? Well, all you have to do is deliver this pie to my fiance. To a little radio shack just 50 miles outside of Iceville, Alaska. It's the anniversary of the first day we met. And you're the only one that can get it there for me fresh. Oh, Steve and I would be so grateful. Pulaski? It's mighty fur, ma'am. Well, not for you. You can fly up. Fly? Well, if that's the way you want it, ma'am, I'll do it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Superman. Um, perhaps I'd better handle this, Superman. Oh, no siree, Mr. Kent. I promised to help the lady, and that's what I'm aiming to do. So nobody touches this here, except until I put it in the hands of her fiancé. Well, I was just kidding. Shall we go? Thank you again, Superman. And thank you, Mr. Kent, for dropping by. Well, when I read your ad, I thought there might be a story in it. Now I'm sure of it. Bye, ma'am. Bye. Goodbye. Hey, you. Leftover Louie. What are you doing here? My business is with Junior here, Kent, and it's strictly legal. Look, uh, I'm a kind of a hurry, mister. I gotta fly this pie to Lasky. Oh, don't bother. I'll give you 50 bucks for it. Well, that's right nice, mister, but I promised to deliver it to a soldier. I'll make it a hundred. What do you want with a pie? I want to eat it, see? What do you usually do with a pie? Ain't nobody gonna eat this except the man it was warmed up for, and I gotta get going. Nice to make your acquaintance, Mr. Kent. Same here, Superman. <clears throat> now, wait a minute. Hey, I'll make it two hundred. Louie. Three. Come here. No. I... Let me give you some advice. In the first place, he can probably break you in two. In the second place, if you make any trouble, I'll have to write some more of those little articles about you. Steve Emma cannot believe his eyes. He thinks the time when the radio shack by himself has driven him insane. There was a towering man in overalls with a mule in front of him. At which point I'd probably think I'm crazy too. Howdy! You the fella called Steve? Oh, don't bother asking me questions. I'm obviously out of my mind. Well, I'll bring you this pie from Miss Holloway. Here. Margie? A pie? Yep. Got her here as quick as I could. Well, reckon we better be getting back. Oh, wait a minute, wait. Come on in. It's 20 below out there. That's calling up to freeze even a figment of the imagination. You yeah, reckon I would like to sit a while. Come on, Lily Bear. We've been invited in. I reckon I better unbundle you a mite, Lily Bell. Is this for real? Real as pie I ever saw. No, no, I admit you. And the mule. Well, now, now, that's a funny question. Sorry, Ita. Look, you make yourselves at home while I uh, talk this over with myself. Well, ain't you going to try the pie first? Well, that's Marge's meringue, all right. I can't be dreaming that. Look, will you tell me something? What's this all about, and how did you get here? Well, Miss Holloway wanted you to have that dar pie. So me and Lilybell took one of them Ari planes to Fairbanks, and then a truck to Iceville, and then I jumped on Lilybell, and here we are. 
Clark Kent has gone to Crumbly Hotel to look for leftover Louie. Herman Hicks has told him the gangster has rented an airplane with skis. This can only mean one thing. Lyman intends to steal the lemon meringue pie from Steve and Sylvester. As Superman flies to Alaska, Lyman has stolen the lemon meringue pie from Steve. Okay, brother. Where is it? Where's what? You know what I mean. Where's that pie? Pie? Oh, this is too much for one day. Where's that lemon meringue pie? Margie's? Hey, ain't you the fella I seen back in the city? Yeah, that's right, Junior. What did she do, bake that pie with uranium? No, it's just an ordinary pie, that's all. But to me, it's worth 25 grand. So long, kiddies. Have fun. Should have blasted him. If there's anything lower than a mule thief, it's a pie stealer. I couldn't. It's not worth it. Not even one for Margie's pies. He is making his getaway in the ski plane. Superman had just met Superman as the Man of Tomorrow searches for Louie. Now, who in Tornation? Oh, probably just one of those Zulu natives riding by in his elephant. Come in. Welcome, sir. It's a vast relief to realize I actually have gone crazy. Now I can enjoy it. Has he been here yet? The man who wanted the pie? Certainly. He left just a few minutes ago, but don't fret. I've got a nice can of plum pudding for you. What kind of a plane was he flying? I must have missed him. A yellow two-engine job, trimmed with lace with purple polka dots. Well, I'm going after him. Get the bottom of this once and for all. Ah, huh? that must be the general calling to tell me he's coming to lunch. Who are you, mister? Never mind about that now. Well, this sure is a realistic nightmare. That was the man who stole the pie. I know. His plane was forced down by ice in its wings, and he's holed up with a portable transmitter in an ice cave, which fell in on him. How can he hear that? I'm going to hear nothing. Well, if that don't beat all, he just jumped in the air and kept on going. You mean that's unusual? Well, ain't it? Louis has been rescued by Superman, and the pie has been returned to Steve. <laughs> Looks like you're gonna end up as my last meal. Oh, get me out of here, Superman. Anywhere. And I don't care just so long as it's warm. But first, we have to return this pie to its rightful owner. But I can't walk all the way back there, Superman. Who said anything about walking, Louis? Oh, I can't fly. With me, you can, and don't worry. My wings don't ice up. Come on. <laughs> well, I sure hate to see you leave, Sylvester. <laughs> Brung back your pie. Yes, sure, naturally, you brung back the pie. Uh, just a moment. Do you mind giving him a lift? I oh, reckon not. Climb aboard, mister. Oh, why did they ever leave me out of that nice, warm penitentiary? Hey, and you better be careful, mister. You'll probably get hurt flying around like that. All right, I'll be careful. Come on, head this mangy beach south and let's go! Oh. So long! Now! How about a piece of that pie? They told me this Arctic solitude could do funny things to a man. Oh, you're all right, Steve. Really? 
Why, sure. All you need is an explanation, which I can give you now that I've talked to Louie. You told me the whole story. <clears throat> Some time has passed. Louie is now in his room at the crumbly hotel trying to keep warm. What happened to you? Don't ask. Take all the money. It's yours. Don't ever make me no more bets again. I can't take it, Louie. My Aunt Tilly not only wouldn't make me a pie, she flung me out for good measure. Take it anyway. I've seen the cold facts of life buckets. From now on, I could go legitimate. Harry! Mr. Ken stopped by to see me. We both figured to see how you was coming along. Don't worry, Louie. You'll thaw out in time. Listen, Kent. Me and Buckets have seen the light. Cross my freezing heart and hope to die. You know, Louie, this time I believe you. <laughs> well, that takes care of them, Sylvester. How about you? Well, I tell you, Mr. Kent, I don't feel right natural around these year parts. I'm going back to Skunk Hollow where I can be just plain Superman. And the best of luck to you, Superman. And you too, Lily Bell. So, Bob. Yes. What are some thoughts? What are some of your thoughts on this one? This you is know, I. It's an interesting you know, episode. Yeah, you know, I probably shouldn't like it as much as I do. Right. You know, I think when certain people think, you know, Silver Age silliness, as we mentioned in other things before, they will, you know, mention certain stories out of a Jimmy Olsen comic book or certain stories that Superman participated in that were silly. This is kind of a very ridiculous, silly story. Right. But I smiled all the way through it. Right. Almost every scene... It looked like the actors were having fun. It looked, I don't know. There was just something about this particular episode that I literally did. I smiled all the way through this thing watching it today. I kind of put off, you know, when, you know, we schedule these things in advance. It's right. not like Mike says, hey, come on, we're going to record now. <laughs> you know, we, we schedule this. And so I, but I kept putting off watching these two episodes so, you know, a couple hours before we were, you know, ready to go on air, I popped the disc two in and, you know, I was having dinner and let it go and some other things. And But then when this episode, I really sat down and just watched it and I smiled all the way through it. A couple of things. I love lemon meringue pie. It's, right. it's possibly my favorite pie. And I like pie more than cake, usually on my birthday, which is in late January, by the way. But I usually get a lemon meringue pie for my birthday. My wife will usually make or get me somehow a lemon meringue pie because I like lemon meringue pie. So this particular episode, even as a kid, I was just thrilled it was a lemon meringue pie. Regardless how stupid it is that she's going to all this trouble to get that pie <laughs> to her fiancé in uh, Alaska. And you know, the line, and the line. I promised my fiance I wouldn't bake lemon meringue pies for anybody else but him. You know, honestly, I've been in some relationships where if all she did for somebody else was just make pies, I'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, oh, but this is a family show, so but it's not, a family. We're show. not going to go into pie. that too deeply. Right. You know, my gra my grandmother when I was a kid made lemon meringue pie. Yeah, they're just, I love. I never ate it. Never ate it? Well, you know, because as a kid, I didn't really like lemon. Uh, uh, I'll bet if I tried it now, I'd like it. Oh, God. 
It's just my mouth waters at the thought right. of lemon meringue pie and she, a great lemon. But I like pie. I like right. apple pie. I like chocolate pie. I like blueberry. I like pie. The two pies that she made were that and coconut custard. I went. For uh, the, I'm not a big fan of coconut. But, yeah, I went for the but, coconut. Yeah, yeah. I would have gone right head first into that lemon meringue pie. Right. But I love when when Steve finally gets the pie and he dips his finger and he goes, "Well, that's that's Margie's meringue." Yeah. And that I, I understand. You know, as a kid, I, how do you know just from digging? But if homemade pie, a person's meringue, no two people will make the same kind of a meringue. No. My mother's so. like that with cheesecake. Ah, okay. You know? Okay. See? People have them. Get it. Uh, two, give two people the same recipe. I know my mother. I know my mother's. You see, that's the that's the beauty. So anyway, I love the lemon meringue pie. I right. love the Louis Lyman character. And Chuck Connors, who, of course, later becomes the rifleman. Right. And a very different character than right. he's playing here. But there were several scenes where it just, you could just see both the twinkle in George's eye and the smirk on, right. not really a smirk, but kind of a, a knowing grin on Chuck Connor's face. It's the two of them uh, are just seem like they're having a good time. Right. This episode holds together you know, for they, three reasons. Yeah. George Reeves, Chuck Connor, yeah. and Ben Weldon. There it is. You know? Yes. I think you put this in anybody else's hands and this episode doesn't work. Yeah, I you think you're right. Connors just has that kind of that hillbilly honesty. Like he doesn't yeah. just, like he doesn't really know any better. But he didn't play him as a stupid character, but No, but he played naive to some Naive things. character, yes. Right. Like he you know, someone who hadn't seen the rest of the world. Exactly. But within his own realm. Right. Knew what he was doing. Right. And I did think it was interesting. He's reading the classifieds of the newspaper to his mule. And things always happen on TV in threes. Right. Always. Always, always, always. It doesn't matter if it's this show or if it's a cop show. If somebody, if there's two cops sitting across a, a table in an evidence room and they say, okay, split up the evidence. You take this stack and I'll take that stack. The one who finds it, it'll be the third one they look at. Right. Every time. It always happens in threes. This happened in threes when Chuck Connors, he did two classified ads that he told to uh, Lily, Bell. Lily Bell. And the third one was soup to Superman, which brings us to the thought of this woman, Marjorie Holloway. I mean, talk about I, I don't even know the word for this, but you're putting an ad in the Metropolis Daily Planet. To get Superman to come to your hotel apartment. She right. lives in a hotel to fly a lemon meringue pie to Alaska. Yeah. Is that the best use of Superman? No, not at all. Not at all. But when Lois brings that in to Clark, he says, yeah, that's interesting. Let's go see what the emergency is. Which, What's by the, the way, is the only time we see Lois in this episode. It's the only time she brings that in to Clark. And she's got her blue outfit on and looking rather cute. Right. Noel has her cute moments. She's looking rather cute, I think, in this one. But it's one quick scene. She comes in. She brings him. She makes the joke. Uh, and she's gone. How would you know because you weren't even here? Oh, yeah, that's right. You wrote the story and I can read. Right. Uh, so anyway, yeah, he goes to check on it. And then once Clark realizes. That's the next how, episode, I think. Is it? Okay. That's souvenirs, but, I think. Oh, yeah, right. Same blue outfit. Hmm. Hmm. But, <laughs> but. Yeah, when that happens, and he finally, and he, being Clark Kent, Superman, realizes what Marjorie Holloway has asked Superman to do. He gets kind of a ridiculous look on his face and kind right. of says, well, maybe I'd better take care of that. And Chuck Connor says, well, no, no, she's given me this wad of money. 
you know, and I don't know what the term would be that, but pretentious. I mean, what is what is the deal with this woman that thinks that she can just put an ad and get Superman to fly a pie for her? No, oh, and here's a wad of money. Yeah, you can say pretentious. A little, just, maybe a little self-important. A little bit. You know, who are you that, I don't know, it just seemed kind of ridiculous that she would even think that, gee, I want my fiancé to get this pie. How can, Oh, I know, Superman's in Metropolis. I'll just see if he'll take it up there for me. Now, you know, it is something, though, you know, you could see certain versions of Superman doing. I'm, yeah, not, I'm not sure about this one, though. No, no. I mean, there's another episode, color episode, I think. Is it color? I'm having to think. Is that one in color? Yes, I think it is. Um, where they get Superman, the same kind of thing. They put a notice and they need it, and it's to fly some photographs or some yes, material yes, the, across a border. The girl who illegal. hired Superman, yeah. Right. And uh, same kind of thing. A very rich woman right. just thinks she can hire Superman to do something. That one had uh, an ulterior motive right. unknown to the rich woman. This one, she's not rich. She's just kind of a an upper middle class woman who right. thinks, "Gee, I think I'll just get Superman to fly my pie to my fiance." Right, and and she was ready. She was you know, very quick to assume that he was uh, going to do it because yeah, she was packing it up. Yeah, it's just amazing, just amazing. You know, a lot of you know my opinions on this version of Superman are really informed by the early episodes. Right, especially season you one, mean like where the first seat, the first right, season, especially where he was so tough and right. It's a little jarring seeing him now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we're kind of used to that rough and tumble Superman. Now he's delivering pies, right? You know, I believe Chris Reeves Superman. Yeah, he'll fly a pie anywhere, <laughs> right, yeah, at, right? At this at this, at this point in time, I'm not sure Superman was doing those kinds of things. No, no, Chris Reeve would say, "Yes, ma'am, I'll take that pie to Alaska as right. soon as I get this cat out of the tree." Right. This particular Superman, uh, not so right. much. Although he's done a lot of this kind of thing, charitable kind of thing. The dog. Right. This the, just why seems... would he? Why would he jump down a well to free a dog? Well, the dog's life is in danger. Because the dog's life is in danger. But and this, he had to notice, like the tree. Right. Yeah. This just seems frivolous. Yeah. The whole plot, the basic plot idea seems frivolous. But once again, in spite of how frivolous and stupid this is, it's a fun episode. It is. It's a smiley, feel-good episode. But it's it's almost strictly played for comedy. Oh, but it absolutely is. <clears throat> Everything is played for comedy. Chuck Connors, uh, Sylvester's uh, naivete. And that's right. one thing where I do think this episode kind of misses out a little bit. Hmm. There's so much comedy to be mined from the fish-out-of-the-water scenario. Oh, right. And they kind of just ignore that. Right. And there's, But there's you know what's the other thing, too, with it? Bucket? Buckets? Buckets, yeah. Does something and he does it so subtly that I don't think people noticed it. I didn't notice it until today. His dialogue is almost, um, I forgot the norm something, the comedian who uses words incorrectly. Right, yeah, he did it twice. All right, he did it in his opening thing. I resemble that remark. I mean, that's like a Three Stooges. That's like Curly. Right. I resemble that. Yeah, you know what? You know what? And everybody uses and everybody uses that joke now, so. Everybody. So I uh, caught and I don't think it was here first. I think it came right from the three yeah, but that that joke is so ubiquitous now that I right. caught I caught it immediately. And then he also did a thing where he meant one thing and said impractical. He meant impartial and said impractical. Right, but and uh, then, and even thing. then, right, exactly. And that time Louis mentioned it. Yeah, exactly. So it's like 
If you're trying to be clever, you know, don't point it out. Don't don't, don't have the character point that out how clever your writing is. <laughs> right. But now it was Louis was telling the kids. Right. You know, talking to the kids watching that time. That's why they do stuff like that, I think. If they had just let I resemble that and the impartial and practical thing, some kids would have would have missed that entirely. Right. Yeah, and, and they might have missed it or maybe even gone on and used the words wrong. Exactly. Because they yeah. heard this guy could you hear a guy say it on TV, you think it would Right. But anyway, it's okay. It's it's it was a smiley episode, a smiley face episode. It is. It is a very smiley face episode. There's a lot of comedy here. You know, look, it starts out. You start out with comedy right at the beginning. You got a man and a mule walking up to a counter. Exactly. You know? Right off the beginning. So just the sheer oddity of it is amusing. I'd like to look over um, Chuck Connor's shoulder at what he signed on the register because the way he wrote that, <clears throat> there's no way. That he wrote Sylvester J. Superman. No. I think he just scribbled. Probably did. You know, it would have been funny if he had written, you know, his real name or something. But I don't know what he wrote there in that book. And I wonder if that's the same book they've used in other hotel scenes as registers. Probably. I'm sure they recycle uh, props. To the point where I was wondering in Olsen's Millions if the box with the, uh, for the, uh, that Richard Reeves' character brings in. Yes. I wonder if that was the same box from Panic in the Sky. Could be, could be. Where you the see, only the only thing that I would think was be it's very possible if it came from second season, but if it came from first season, I think most of that stuff was gone. Yeah, but yeah, I think the first season stuff was gone. But then I looked at it, like, eh, kind of could be. It looked could be could similar be. enough. But you know, as far as the comedy goes, even the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve did that. Oh I yeah. Mean, this one though, the whole move, the whole show had that kind of okay we're gonna have fun with this one right so people were still in character pretty much i mean superman wasn't really out of character clark kent wasn't out of character no but they were put in a situation that had a little more levity to it than than normal this was not panic in the sky no it was not <laughs> no. now i want to talk a little bit about the first, our introduction to louis yeah he is in clark's office threatening his chair Right, he's practicing, he's practicing how he's going to how he's going to uh, yell at Kent. Right. right, and when he when Clark walks in, Lyman asks if Clark remembers him. I almost wonder if that's kind of an in joke at how much Weldon has been on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. But I don't know how clever the writing is. Yeah, I don't know either. And and Kent's attitude, the way George Reeves acts towards him, is just hmm, no, oh yes, oh yes. He was acting as if. I don't know. I, I write a lot of articles. I don't right. know. Who who are you? Right. He knew exactly who he, he was. He did. I just wonder if that was kind of I don't know I don't know if how clever David Chandler is, but Yeah, I don't know either. But I can Or George th- Blair, the director. Right, that's something I thought of. I wonder you know, maybe if they were writing this episode with Weldon in mind. Right. They could use something like that, but or maybe something was added later. I don't know. But there's some chemistry here even between Reeves and Weldon. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I don't think this episode works if it's a new guy we haven't seen before. No, if it's it had to be a recurring bad guy. Right. And it wouldn't have worked with all of the recurring bad guys we've seen no. so far. I mean, you know, Ace, would Ace have... Uh, I don't think Ace could have... No, it had, know, it had to be Weldon. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he has the... Uh, he's always been a little comedic. He looks funny. Yep. It's a very good comedic character actor. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think, like I say, that's why I think I just smiled through the whole thing. Who thinks of these names, though? Skunk Hollow. Right. 
Skunk Hollow, Screen Run. I think as a kid, I used to think he was saying Skunk Holler. Right. H-O-L-L-A-R. And the city can't be that much different. Boy, is he wrong. Uh, yeah, there's a huge difference in a city and a Mayberry town. Yeah. And Skunk Holler sounds smaller than Mayberry. Right. And who's going to clean up after the mule? Yeah, good question. And one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons horses disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, there's no more mules and horses on the planet because of that very reason. Oh, the, we've gotten rid of them all? All of them. They're all gone now. All of them. <laughs> Obviously, Louis goes to visit Margie. And I don't know how long it's been that she's seen him, but she's very willing to lend him money after not seeing him for years. Yeah, that was her first thing. Well, I don't know what you're here for, but if it's money you need, she was ready to just go right into that wallet or that pocketbook and pull, pull out another wad of cash, I guess. Right. So. No, he just wanted the pie. Yeah, he just wanted the pie. So I don't see what the big deal is. He can buy a pie off her, you know. Off her? She wouldn't sell him a pie. Well, she should have. Well, she should have just let him have that one and make another pie. It shouldn't have been a big deal in the first place. <laughs> no, it shouldn't have. It's a pie. <laughs> it is. At the very least, it was 1954, I guess, yeah. when this was 55, 50, 54. Maybe was, 54, 55. Yeah. Uh, so a lemon meringue pie at the grocery store, probably a buck and a half, $2. Right. Louis could have gone to the grocery store, bought himself a lemon meringue pie. Well, that, that wouldn't have been honest. Or gone to the bakery and gotten, hey, it wouldn't have been honest. It's Louis Lyman. Yeah, but this is the honesty he's worried about. It has to be Margie's lemon meringue pie. It can't be yeah. store-bought. It's 25 grand. And yeah. he, the lengths he goes to are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. How much did it cost him to rent that plane, to charter a plane, to fly to Alaska <laughs> to steal a pie? Yeah, I know. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like what we talk about with the Golden Age comics. Lex Luthor built a multi-million dollar robot to steal $20,000. <laughs> right. So, after Louie does his thing, Sylvester shows up, and uh, apparently he uh, tied his ass to a parking meter. Now, Fancy hitching post. <laughs> it is. You know what? If you're going to go through the trouble of having a mule on your episode, you have access to a backlot. You need to show me this man trying to trying to hitch a mule to a, to a parking meter. <laughs> show, don't tell. <laughs> I need to see that. Well, this one was total studio for this one. Yeah, and uh, hopefully Sylvester put money in the meter. And then Sylvester regales her with a feat of strength by moving a piano. You think the meter maid went by and put a little X on Lily Bell's foot? <laughs> I did get kicked in the balls once by a mule. Now, I, I thought I would be hurting for the rest of my life. That meter maid went nowhere near that mule. <laughs> or he went into the bar. So I thought Sylvester might have been a little bit rough with this piano, but he moved uh, he, it. Yeah, he moved it, picked it up, and slammed it down. I thought that was interesting because when he did put it down, it made a thud. You heard no ringing sounds that you would have no. heard a piano make with the strings vibrating had no. he slammed a real piano down like that. And now Clark shows up. He gets introduced to Superman, which confused the hell out of him. And George Reeves is not a, was not a short man. Uh, no, he's 6'2". He looks short next to next to Chuck Connors. Yeah, Chuck Connors is about six five, six six. He's tall right. man. He's a big tall man. Maybe even taller than that. He's so he is absolutely really towering tall. over George Reeves here. Yeah, he towers over everybody. Right. And I think that's interesting on the show Rifleman that he was on. The actor who played Micah, the sheriff of North Fork, was also on a Star Trek episode. Right. Playing a doctor. But uh he's like five 
eight, five, nine tops. Right. Right. And in scenes with the two of them together was always amazing. You'd almost always see Chuck Connor sitting or on the desk, you know, so they would both be in frame together. Because there's like a foot and a half difference in the two of them. It's right. amazing. So. And it always made his kid look tiny. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Chuck Connors, big man, big tall man. There he is. I think that's the first and only time George Reeves has to look up at anybody. Pretty much. I don't think anybody else has been as tall as him in these episodes, no. Oh. I think he and Robert Shane are pretty close in size. Yeah, they're close, but yeah. nothing approaching this. No. So, Sylvester gets his assignment and Clark is amused. You know, he's just kind of letting this whole thing play out. You can Which tell, is the way he should. It's how yeah. he should do it. He is rather amused by this. Because obviously he came there kind of to kind of scout it out if it wasn't something ridiculous. But he's going to let Sylvester handle it. And then he finds Louis outside and going to give him another lecture. And now there's an amusement comment about Clark staying out of Louis's hair if he stays good. Ben Weldon doesn't have a lot of hair to stay out of. <clears throat> no, not much at all. After this, we go to Steve. Now, Steve and the actor whose name I forgot again. Richard Garland. Richard Garland. Um, not unknown also to TV of the 50s and 60s. Right. Uh, he made several. I don't think he ever had his own show, but I saw him a lot in a lot of shows. He's, he makes, a, and I think some sci-fi movies of the 50s and 60s he was in. And he may have had either, um, you know, the grade B type, the low budget type sci-fi movies where he may have had a lead or two. Because he's a handsome fellow, good voice. Right. You know, the black wavy hair. I like this uh, guy. Yeah, I like Steve, too. I think he's a good character. And I think he played this really well. He did. He is, uh, you know, they played it for laughs here, but I mean, I've obviously never been by myself for as long as he must have been. <laughs> I, the human mind needs other people to talk to. Yes. And so I can imagine after however long he's been by himself, he might go and be going kind of stir-crazy. You might be, especially if it's snowing as much as it was up there. Right. And it is funny. That's something else you bring. You mentioned Steve, and every time he had to go to open that door, right, and you could hear the wind blowing, and the and you could see the snow and stuff. Uh, it was very funny. But as a kid, I used to watch a show called Soupy Sales, right. and he did a routine regularly where he would go to the back of his little set on TV and open the door and get hit with snow or water or a pie, usually a pie, right. But W. C. Fields. Even further before in his movies used to do a little bit where he would be talking and doing a routine and I uh, forget the name of the movie, but the line was, it's not a fit night out for man or beast. Right. And then he'd open the door and get hit with a, a bucket full of snow. Oh, ah, yeah, it's not a fit night out for man or beast. Yes. That's what I think every time Steve opened that door. Right. I kept thinking somebody should hit him in the face with some snow <laughs> right. so he could do the W.C. Fields bit. Right. I do like this scene where he's talking to his reflection in the mirror. That was edited nicely. Yes, it was. You know. And they had to be careful. That mirror was in a spot where I kept looking for it today, too. Did the camera? Anything, yeah. Did anything looking, screw up? Anything I screw they up did it that. well. I looked, too. They hit it really well. And no boom microphone shadows. No. I didn't see any boom microphone. The only shadow was in the cave we'll get to later, but it wasn't, it was Louis's shadow. It wasn't. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I really like that bit of cinematography there. I thought that worked out very well. Yeah. 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 Him looking in the mirror and talking to himself. Right. Having both sides of the conversation, one yes. of him live and the other one in the mirror. I thought that was well done. Yeah, I agree. And 
He's knitting a scarf when someone knocks at the door, and uh, you can see on his look on his face clearly uh, somebody knocking on the door doesn't happen very often. <laughs> right. He ignored it at first. Uh, he did. He thought he was imagining it. Right. And Completely knocking on the door. Did you see a cot or anything in this little room? Uh, no, I did not. No, I didn't either. I saw there was like a, a, a hot plate stove thing behind yeah. him. There was a, like a little refrigerator thing. There was some um, equipment. But you're right. I don't remember seeing a cot or bed at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's in a different, a different room or something. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, eventually he answers the door and here's Sylvester with the pie. And Steve <laughs> thinks he's hallucinating. I guess it's one of those things, you know. I mean, not only is there a six foot seven giant walking in with a pie. <laughs> In overalls. <laughs> in overalls. No <laughs> coat at all. It doesn't look a like he's red cold. stocking cap, though. He yeah. had a stocking cap. He did, have, he did have that. And he walks in with a mule wearing a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> How did he get that mule to Alaska without it freezing? Uh, all of, in fact, he rode it the last day. So what do yeah. you say? He caught a plane to Anchorage, a shuttle from there to somewhere, and then he yeah. said, I just jumped on Lily Bell and rode the rest of How the did way. He get on, How did he get that mule on a plane? How did he get how any of those? <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> oh my God. She must have given him a huge wad of cash. She must have. In order for him to get all the... Yeah, because all that money that was supposed to go to charity probably went for him making last-minute flight, you know, to get to Alaska. The, the man thinks the park he made at the hitching post, but he can get himself, book himself a flight to Alaska with a mule. <laughs> right. And get there before the pie goes bad. Yeah, so, well, it was cold, so. But it's lemon meringue pie. Yeah, it doesn't really go bad, does it? No, not really. Well, I guess you wouldn't want to just leave it sitting in your refrigerator for, like, a couple of weeks or anything. But No, well, I've never known a pie to last a couple of weeks. No. Before somebody <laughs> no. eats it all. So, But apparently the pie is what convinces them that Sylvester is real. Because it's Marjorie's meringue. Yeah, yeah, that's real enough for him, man. Now we go back to Metropolis, and apparently we find out Louie rented a plane with skis. And this is when it dawns on you. He, yes, he's going all the way to Alaska to chase a pie. Right. I love it when Clark, at that desk there, puts the three words together. You know, yeah. goes, plane, skis, Alaska, lemon meringue, pie. Yeah. Thanks. Boom. <laughs> You've been a great help. <laughs> and here's a question I have. Why is Steve letting Sylvester eat two weeks' worth of rations? I, what is Steve going to do when he needs to eat those? Well, he'll get Superman to bring him some, I guess. I Maybe guess. that's what, after, before Superman leaves, Steve will have said, you know, I hope you like the pie, and thanks for, you know, the... Oh, by the way, that other guy and his mule, they ate a whole lot of my stuff. Maybe you could help out. Right. Well, Steve should have known to not let him have that stuff. Oh, I don't know. He probably, you know, why not? He probably still, he probably thinks he's a, he was a hallucination. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, the guy came all the way up there to deliver the pie, let him eat, and Steve will put a call into whoever. He'll he'll get his food back. Yes, he will. Now, Superman sh- will stop by the barracks on the way back to the, where whoever that guy works for. Yeah, the general. The general. And tell him that, hey, Steve needs more food. Yeah, I think he's in the Air Force. Now, yeah, now, so now Louis shows up. He is actually threatening uh, a soldier who probably has some combat training. Probably over a pie. Right. But All of this again, to settle a bet. Louis does have a gun. He is holding a gun. He is holding a gun. 
And I believe Steve's is nowhere, Steve's gun is nowhere to be found. Cause I think he goes and gets it later. He does go and get it at one point after Louie leaves, but then Superman shows up. So Right. So this is probably the most visitors he's had in months. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there was two, both Marjorie's apartment, all of a sudden, boom, 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 here they come, three people. Right. Must have put an open house sign on my door or something. Or something. What did she say? She said something. And now her fiancé, Steve, is being visited by the same three ghosts of Christmas past, future, yeah. and present. And they're, and they're bringing the insanity. <laughs> so Steve gives the scarf that he's been knitting to uh, to Sylvester to bring back to Marjorie. The uh, scarf is, it looks like it's about 10 feet long. I don't, I don't think Marjorie needs a scarf quite that long, but she's getting one quite that long. Now, this is where we get our third knock at the door. At this point, Steve is convinced that he's gone crazy. And <laughs> I just love the, his reaction. Oh, now I know I'm nuts. <laughs> There's something about the way this Richard Garland acts here that's kind of selling it. Selling the Steve's uh, isolation. Mm-hmm. And that I do think he's kind of enjoying this insanity. And Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. It's kind of like, well, if I'm dreaming, this is a pretty fun one. Yeah. Louie's gone. And then we get Louie calls in because he got his wings froze up. And he's... Sylvester asks Superman what his name is. Yeah. And he never... <laughs> Don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah. That was my next note. And Superman puts off the question. Like, yeah, never mind that. <laughs> yeah. And he never does find out what his name is. I don't no, think. No. And meanwhile, Superman's using super hearing to listen to the conversation right. that Steve is having on the radio earpiece thing, I guess. Yeah. Louie rented a plane... A yellow plane with purple polka dots, and Superman and Superman didn't see it. Yeah, I think in. that was a lie. How do you miss that? Yeah, I think Steve was making that up. I think Steve didn't quite know if any of it was serious or not. Right. I can't imagine Louis Lyman renting a yellow plane with purple polka dots. No, I can't imagine anybody making a yellow plane with purple polka dots. Yeah, you never know. So maybe Steve is going nuts. I know I'm going nuts. Yeah. Maybe Louis told him that. Now, after they get word of Louie and Superman flies off, I love Sylvester's reaction here. He cannot believe what he just saw. And <laughs> he just kept on going. Yeah, he did. Steve knows who Superman is, right? I guess. Because I wasn't, he I, never... I wasn't sure at first. You're right. By the way, he treated Superman when he showed up. Right. But when, I think he, I think it was Sylvester who asked if that was normal, he seemed to agree that it was. I would think he's from Metropolis, if that's where his... Fiance yeah, was. I don't know. I was taking that a different way. It was almost like Sylvester was saying, "Does that happen all the time around here?" And, and he just Steve saying, was, saying, yeah, yeah. kind of. Doesn't it always? Doesn't it, it? You know, I don't know. It's hard to tell from this whether Steve knew Superman or not. Right. He never acknowledges that he knows Superman, Mm-mm. which is obviously the joke because we're not going to acknowledge actual acknowledge Superman because we've got Sylvester Superman here. Exactly. And they just kind of left that out there. It's like. There's humor in that. Yes. And it just feels like it was wasted. Yeah, kind of intimated at right. being funny. They kind of hinted at it, but didn't really go for the joke. Yeah, they did, you know. They went a little different direction. Right. But I'm assuming then by the time Superman explained the story to Steve and they ate the pie. Right. Uh, at that point, um, you know, Steve would obviously know who Superman is. It just feels like we never quite they got... didn't make it clear. It feels like we never quite got the punchline. No. Now, honestly, here's Louis freezing in the cave. Shouldn't we just leave him here? I think he deserves it, don't you? Oh, oh me. I don't know. You got to do the right thing. You do. But 
if we leave him here, we're denied a very nice shot of Superman breaking through the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And you notice there's a quick cut as he breaks through the ice. uh, Then he's got all the powder dust all over him. Right. So as the camera zooms in, there's a cut. And even though I don't think they went very far to take the second cut, it looked to me like they did a, okay, stop, pause, everybody run in, brush him off, zoom in, change camera for the close up. Because he still had remnants of it on him. But when he first busted through that case, his hair was white, his face had dust all over it. So they cleaned him up a little bit for the close-up scene of him telling Louie that first, no, we're taking this pie back to its owner. And I I enjoy the playful banter between George Reeves and Ben Weldon. It's worked the whole episode. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And whether he was being a Superman or as Clark Kent. Well, he was treating him the same way as both characters. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Superman brings them all back to uh, the little shack. Superman lets out Sylvester and Louie, and Louie is going to ride Lily Bell all the way back to civilization. <laughs> I guess uh, Sylvester's going to have to walk. <laughs> Superman is ready for some pie after a long day. Right. So Sylvester ate him out of uh, two weeks worth of rations. I wonder how much pie Superman ate. They probably finished that bad boy off. Oh, I bet they did. I think I'm going to go get a lemon meringue pie. No, I'll wait until the 22nd. There you go. So Superman apparently worked up an appetite. (laughs) And uh, I don't know how long it took him to get back to Metropolis. I don't know how long it takes to get to the East Coast from Alaska by mule. But Louis is still warming up. Right. Well, he is Superman, by the way. I mean, Sylvester is Superman. Yes. And after all this effort, Buckets couldn't get get his Aunt Tilly to make him a pie. Saw that coming. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) So all this effort... Louis put into this for nothing. Yeah. And they leave this thing kind of dangling here a little bit. Okay. The original bet was the winner of the pie eating contest that they would then get a newsboy to be the judge. Right. The winner would then get the other person's cut of the $50,000 that they stole from the bank robbery. That's why they're laying low. They've got 50 grand somewhere hidden. They're not going to use it until the heat blows off. Louie's been in jail for five years. Right. The money is going to be split equally between Buckets and Louie. That was, but then the bet and the loser was going to lose his half, his share of the money. Right. In this scene, just before, you know, uh, Superman and Sylvester show up, Buckets and Louie are talking about it. And Louie just says, keep the money. Keep all of it. I don't care. I'm going straight. Right. Bucket says, well, I don't want it because I don't. And I'm going straight. They both decide they're going straight. Right. Where's the money? If they're going straight, shouldn't you then say, oh, by the way, Kent, tell your friend Superman to stop by and I'll tell him where the money is. Or here, I'll give you the money or I'll turn the money back in. Well, are they well, going to now that they're going straight? Are they going to use the ill gotten gain? Well, I don't think it matters for Louie. He's already served his time. He can't be charged with the bank robbery again. Uh, but the money is still stolen. And I mean, um, he, it's not his money. Just because he spent five years no, in you're jail right, for robbing not. the money, it's still not his money. And how did he get convicted without, without them finding the money? There you go. I don't know. There's too many questions. And but, uh, I often, but they just kind of let the whole money thing. Apparently, it was enough to, for Louie to say... You keep it all. I don't want it. I'm going straight. And Buckets to agree. He doesn't want it. He's going to go straight, too. And because he's feeling all bad that his his aunt or 
whatever. Right, threw him out. Threw him out. So he was all feeling bad. And Louie's feeling bad because Marjorie wouldn't make him a pie. So they're all feeling bad because of their lemon meringue pies. So that's enough for them both to have the mother named Martha. So they're going to go straight and not kill each other. Right. I mean, something like now, that. Now, I don't even think Buckets went to jail. We don't know. We don't know what ha- where Buckets has been. Maybe Louie did the, the time all by himself. Right. We don't know. But there's 50K out there somewhere. I don't know. Louie probably used it right in that plane. <laughs> probably. Probably spent it getting, trying to get his uh, get get that pie. Yeah. All right. So I think we're done with this one. <laughs> I think so. But I think to sum it up, in spite of how silly it is, and we've talked way too long for this episode, but I did enjoy the episode. So even when people say, oh, those color ones are stupid and silly and ridiculous. Yeah, they are kind of silly and stupid and ridiculous. But I smiled all the way through this yeah, one. Yeah, this is a fun one. This was a fun one. Great character acting. They all looked like they were having fun. So I, I really can't fault this one because it. I liked it as a little kid, and I liked it an hour or two ago when I watched right. it. So, yeah, I have no problems really with it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, grab some dessert, and we're going to come back with the seven souvenirs. Woohoo! Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher. And I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons. Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head right into The Seven Souvenirs. Original broadcast date was October 8th, 1955. Writer was Jackson Gillis. Director was George Blair. Guess Have we heard that writer's name before? Yeah, you wrote a little episode, a little unknown episode called Panic in the Sky. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, you heard mm-hmm. of that one? Yeah, I think so. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Guest cast included Steve Calvert as Louis, Louise Lewis as the customer, Arthur Space as Mr. Jasper, Phil Teed as Mr. Willie. As I mentioned before, Phil Teed will famously come back later in the series to play Professor Pepperwinkle. And Rick Valen as the Scar-Faced Man. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Alright, the Superman stops a pair of criminals. Their hands are bound together in a crowbar he has bent. The crooks have been freed from it and handed over to the Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson. Well, there are a couple more crooks locked up, thanks to him. Want to lift downtown? No, never mind, Inspector. I want to look around here for a bit. What for? You, uh... You didn't happen to see that crowbar laying around anywhere, did you? You mean the one Superman wrapped around those two crooks? <laughs> Boy, it was bent like a pretzel. No, he got it off for us, and then, uh... Well, that's funny. No quite a lot of people around. Maybe somebody picked it up. What do you want it for? Oh, I, uh, I thought it might make a good souvenir. Yes, it would. Matter of fact, I wouldn't mind having it myself. But I guess we're out of luck. Somebody beat us to it. So long, Jimmy. Bye, Inspector. In this antique and curio shop, Mr. Willie is putting the price of $25 on the crowbar that he had taken from the crime scene. Jimmy sees it in the window and decides to talk to the proprietor about it. Customer, 
I knew the minute I put that item in the window it was felt. Here, here, feel this, feel this. A solid iron crowbar, or, or, or maybe steel. Now, now, could you bend a crowbar like that? Or could I do it? No, no, only Superman, the great Superman. Wait a minute, never mind all that stuff. You were in the crowd when they arrested those guys, weren't you? I saw you walking along the street afterwards. Yes, yes, of course, but, but you can't take this away from me. No, no, finders keepers. Oh, this is one of the best finds I ever made. Now, not $24.50. Would $24.50 be too much? You mean you picked that up just so you could sell it? Well, what do you think I'm in business for, my health? Why, I was in business for my health until I got the Superman idea. Now, look, look, uh, a spinning wheel. Would you want a spinning wheel or an oriental backstretcher? No, of course not. You're a young man of the metropolis, and when you buy a curio, it's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. It's got to be Superman. No, wait a minute, sir. You're talking so much that I really don't understand what you're trying to say. Look, look, uh, $20.75. No, I don't have that kind of money. Do you mean you've got other Superman stuff? Yeah, maybe, maybe something for five dollars. Eh? You, 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 you do have five dollars, don't you? Well, maybe three or four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three fifty, three fifty, and it's yours. A brick? A brick? Oh, you ignorant young man. Look, look, look. That's where his thumb went right through. The one and only such brick in existence. You mean Superman's thumb? Yeah, there's something or other case. Lee, you must have read about it in the Daily Planet a couple of weeks ago. Uh, well, anyway, anyway, he smashed through a brick wall, and I collected every one of the bricks. And that's the last one there is. Three and a quarter. Oh, I'll take it for three and a quarter. Jeepers, you've got all kinds of Superman souvenirs, haven't you? J. Willie, proprietor, at your service. The Superman souvenir shop. Yeah. Golly, that's some idea. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, come back, won't you? Come back. Lois Lane and Clark Kent are talking in the latter's office. Look what I got. Well, who are you going to throw that at? Nobody. This isn't a throwing brick. This is a saving brick. What are you talking about? Apparently, Jimmy's planning on getting married, Lois, and he's saving up for his house brick by brick. What on earth? Let me see it. Be careful. Don't touch it. It's the only one there is. Look, that's his thumbprint in it. Whose? What are you talking about? A Superman souvenir. It's real, too. The guy at the store said it was the oh, only one. Oh, I know, but I'd better cost you three or four dollars, didn't it? How do you know? I found that shop yesterday. And Mr. Willie, isn't he the cutest thing? But you should see the bargain I got. Will someone please tell me what this is all about? Oh, you're not interested. Look, Jimmy, a dagger and only $4.95. Bet that's better than a dirty old brick. I'm going to use it as a paperweight at home. Gee, I wish I would have got there first. Oh, what good is it? It's bent. Oh, Clark, really? This is the same knife a spy used to try to stab Superman with last month. It's bent because it couldn't pierce his skin. Oh, sure, I remember. Huh? How could you remember? You're out of time, Mr. Kent. Oh, don't pay any attention to him. He's up in the clouds today. The boss has been patting him on the back for getting that story about Superman catching crooks this morning. Oh? But that was the story I was going to write. I was there with Inspector Henderson. I mean, oh, I got so interested in souvenirs, I forgot all about it. I don't blame you, Jimmy. She, the things that Mr. Willie's got. Maybe I could write a story about him. About those souvenirs. Golly, Mr. Kent, you ought to see that crowbar. Mr. Kent is just not interested, Jimmy. <laughs> he hit me. He hit me. Mr. Jasper, sit down. Jimmy, get Mr. Jasper a glass of water. You know me? Of course, Jasper and Company, Chemical Engineers. Your office is right down the corridor. Now tell me, who hit you? I don't know. I never saw him before. He had a scar. The payroll. That's what he was after. I've got to get back to my office. When Jasper realized that he has the payroll for one of the factories in his safe, the three reporters follow him to investigate. It looks to me like you were just plain slugged. Have you got any enemies? No, not that I know of. He was such a huge bruiser, he must have been here for something. Let's see. 
I was just sitting there playing with the paper knife I'd recently bought. And... Did you say a paper knife? It's gone. It was just a silly little thing. I know it was only worth a few dollars. I picked it up this morning at the curio shop. Believe it or not, it was a dagger all bent out of shape when it bounced off Superman. Superman? You know something? That's what he took. That's what the man came here after. It must be. It's the only thing that's missing. But why? Was it anything like this? Why, yes, that's it. That's mine. How did you get it? Oh, no, it isn't. I bought it yesterday afternoon. Well, that's strange. It's identical. Same blade, heavy handle, everything. And Mr. Willie said mine was the only one there was. That's what he told me, too. Let me see that knife, Lois. No. Well, I just think that something that Superman should know himself, that's all. Yes, I think he should. Well, maybe he will. And maybe I'll find him and tell him about that souvenir shop. It's my knife, Clark, and my mystery. You weren't even All interested. right, Lois, all right. I'm sorry, but this isn't the time to go into it. But it is the time for you and Jim to take this gentleman down to see Inspector Henderson and tell him the whole story. Oh, and just what do you propose to do, Mr. Kent? Well, inasmuch as everyone is so interested in souvenirs, I thought I might shop around a bit myself. A woman has just left her purchase as Clark entered Willie's shop. Good morning, sir. Good morning. What can I do for you? Good morning. I understand you sell souvenirs here of Superman. Oh, the crowbar. Yes, indeed I do. And you're just the man for that crowbar. Well, I don't know about being the man for a crowbar, but I am interested in a knife. Uh, a knife? Yes, the dagger that was supposedly flattened on Superman's chest. I believe you have Oh, uh... that knife. Yes, yes, indeed I have. Yes, I have it right here. Oh, you have it? Well, there's only one, naturally. Oh. All my souvenirs are authentic originals. Is that so? Uh, just ask Superman if you don't believe me. Now, that knife is right there. Oh, I remember. It's out back. I, I took it down the street for polishing the other day. Uh, anything I hate is a rusty souvenir. Oh, so do I. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, uh, it, don't worry. It won't take a minute to, to unwrap it. Well, take your time. I'm in no hurry. I like to look around. I'll find it. I'll find it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here we are. Here we are. It'll, uh, it'll just, just be a minute now. Just be a minute. <sighs> I didn't hurt it a bit. There, look at that, look at that. Bent by the man of steel himself. And only $7.50. Mr. Willie, has it ever occurred to you how Superman might feel if he caught you doing this? Uh, no harm in selling souvenirs. I don't think he'd like it very much. Nonsense, nonsense. I know Superman better than you do. He's got nothing against me. He, he doesn't want to see me poor. That's not what I meant. I'm talking about selling fake souvenirs, like that drawer full of extra knives there. Uh, my, my souvenirs are authentic. That, that is, most of them. Wait a minute. That woman who was just here drove off in the car. What did she buy? Oh, just, just a little souvenir. What kind of a souvenir? Well, well, it, 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 it was a knife. A knife? Well, who is she? Where she live? I don't know. I don't know anything about her. I do a strictly cash business. No, no charge account. Hence, no names and no addresses. No, fine. Uh, man must be crazy. Superman is now searching the city for her. And the lady's car was in a small accident, and the driver's side door will not open. Man of Steel rips it away to rescue her. She's in tears because a man with a scar on his face was in her back seat. He didn't take her purse. He was only again interested in the souvenir blade. Great Caesar's ghost. How many? And in each case, the man just took one of those knives, eh, Inspector? Kent, where have you been? This is the craziest story we've had in years. Is that Inspector Henderson? Three more people have been assaulted, and from each one, they took a souvenir knife, all just the same. Chief, has Lois Lane come back to the yes, office Yes, yes, go on. I get it. Shh. I said, has Lois Lane come back? Chief, Why? I'm sorry. Let me have it. Hello, Bill. Hey, hey. What's all the shouting up there? 
Yes, Kent, I heard you. Miss Lane's still here at headquarters, so of course she's all right. Oh, I was worried. She has one of those knives herself, you know. She has? Well, she didn't tell me anything about it. Well, I think you better take it away from her. Everyone that has one seems to be getting in trouble. What's this about more people being assaulted? Oh, yes. Uh, three others who bought knives also had them stolen. No, nobody killed yet. But it was probably the same Scarface man who did it. You'd have to move awfully fast. Well, not necessarily. One of these assaults happened last night, the others early this morning. I've got Mr. Jasper, the chemist, in the other room right now, trying to put together a description of the Scarface force. Yeah, that's where Miss Lane and young Olsen are right now. But I sure didn't know she had a knife. Now, hang on a second. Well, what's bothering you? Nothing, yeah, I was just trying to remember. I think his scar was on the right side of the face. Miss Lane! You mean the girl reporter? Yes. Well, she and the boy went out of here several minutes ago. Went out? There was a messenger here with a note, something about a fire in her apartment. Miss Lane and Jimmy went over to her apartment, something about a fire. Thanks, Bill. Hey, where are you going, Kent? They may be in trouble again. Lois and Jimmy enter her apartment only to find Scarface instead of flames. The thief forces Jimmy to tie Lois up. He tries to fight, but Scarface knocks him out before making his getaway with Lois' knife. Superman arrives too late to stop the villains. In spite of this, he helps Lois and Jimmy. But Superman, I've got it! I know why he wants those knives! There's something valuable hidden inside one of them, and he keeps chasing after him until he finds the right knife. Mm, I hardly think that's likely. But Superman, the real knife, I mean the one Mr. Willie claims all these to be, is the one a spy tried to stab you with several weeks ago, remember? And he was from Asia. Maybe there's a secret formula hidden inside one of them. Now, just a minute, Jimmy. We're getting a little wild, aren't we? Superman, if you could only use your X-ray vision oh, on Superman, him... Superman, he's right. Why else would a man be so frantic to get all these knives? Well, there's one sure way to find out. How? I'll get hold of one of these knives myself and walk around Oh, top. but he'd never attack you. Well, that's very true. So I'll get Clark Kent to do it. Then I'll keep an eye on him. Meanwhile, you two be careful. Clark is walking down the street with a Superman souvenir knife in his hand. Scarface needs the aid of his sidekick, Louie. They have to carry Clark... A to their car because he won't let go of the curio. The pair of gangsters drives until they reach the home of the person who's paying them one million dollars to steal the crooked blades. After they dump Clark out of the car, Scarface and Louie get their money. Meanwhile, Superman had called Inspector Henderson, who's, who soon arrives to arrest the criminals. Hello, Inspector. Well, well, already captured him, eh? Well, these are just the hired hands that did the work. They don't look bright enough to mastermind anything. They were bright enough to collect a cool million dollars. A million dollars? But who paid them? What could be in those knives that's worth that much money? Well, we'll find out when we go up the road a little ways. Can Flannery here take care of these two characters? Flannery can. So hop in if you don't mind riding in a car for a change. My pleasure to drive with you always, Inspector. Superman, Lois, Jimmy, and Inspector Henderson have entered the house from which Louie and Scarface had exited. It is the home of Mr. Jasper. Here we are, Inspector. Mr. Jasper, you're under arrest. You're responsible for all this. What? Why, I haven't done anything. Don't you realize I was even assaulted myself? Sure, sure. To make it look good, I know. No, please, listen never to mind, me. Never mind, never mind. Superman, I'm going to look around the rest of the house. All right, Inspector. You believe me, don't you? I was just sitting here working. We have a synthetic metals program underway, you know. But if someone else has been in the house, I'm sure I didn't know about it. I see, Mr. Jasper. Well, everyone seems to think there's something very valuable in one of those knives. Oh. And you're going to examine them with your X-ray vision? That's correct. Well, that's the most powerful X-ray in the world, isn't it? I presume so, and I want it to be. We better stand back. We could be burned by the ray bombardment. So intense. That's quite correct. As a matter of fact, you better all wait in the hall. Very well. 
Knives are found both upstairs and downstairs. You can't prove I've done one single thing wrong. I've never seen those knives before. And the ones in my office, well, they're just mine, that's all. Now, please, take your mysteries out of here. Superman, what do you think we ought to do? Believe him, I guess, Inspector. That is, if Mr. Jasper will grant us one small favor before we go. Well, of course, I'd like to cooperate. Fine. I'd like to have one of your knives as a souvenir. <laughs> Certainly. Here, it's all yours. Oh, no. Not one of those. I want one of the knives in there that I just subjected to my X-ray vision. What? No. I mean, help yourself. You're afraid to go in that room, aren't you, Mr. Jasper? You know all about harmless metals, don't you? Well, perhaps the alloys I saw in there are no longer harmless. Please, don't make me go in there. It's all very simple. You hire a couple of thugs to steal knives, so we'll think there's something hidden in one of them. Why? So you could trick me into using my X-ray vision on certain knives that you made yourself, right? Yes, yes, the knives are made out of alloy. I've worked on this all my life. But your X-ray was the only one that was powerful enough. I don't get it. What's he talking about? I'll show you, Jimmy. There you see. Jeepers. You see, Jimmy, certain alloys can be changed when bombarded by an X-ray. That is provided you can find one powerful enough. Mr. Jasper here has made a truly remarkable discovery. And he tricked me into using my X-ray vision on those knives of his, which transformed them into pure radium worth many millions of dollars. All right, Mr. Jasper, come along with me. Superman has landed in front of Mr. Willie's shop. However, this time, with the aid of his wife's baking skills, he is selling pastries. Yes, Mr. Willie. Well, everyone's taken care of but you. Everyone? The police have just appropriated several million dollars worth of radium from Metropolis Hospitals. It was obtained fraudulently by a man who's now in prison. Prison? Fraud? But Superman, you're not going to say that what I did was that. Not exactly. But I want you to stop selling Superman souvenirs, even if they're genuine like that crowbar. Well, but I have stopped, can't you see? I, I'm in the pastry business now. My wife does the baking and I do the selling. Oh, oh that, that souvenir business was far too dangerous. Far too dangerous. You're absolutely right. Well, good luck to you. Oh, and don't eat up all the profits. Hmm. Oh, Superman. Yes? Uh, anytime you need a wedding cake or anything like that, uh, just please, it'll be on the house. Thank you. I'll remember. Hmm. Oh, that beautiful cape of his. <laughs> what a souvenir that would make. Best line in the episode. Yes, it is. So what do you think of this one? Uh, it's not a bad episode, actually. It's, it's you know, a little mystery going on. There's some funny scenes in it. Scarface trying to take the knife out of Clark Kent's hands when he's laying there on the sidewalk. That's pretty funny. Yeah, he won't let go. Won't let go. But yeah, all in all, not a bad... I think, you know, if it's, it's really interesting. If you really wanted to do a comparison of the differences between, say, a first season episode and one of the color episodes... This one and the broken statues yep. would be a good comparison of how you can take a mystery and do it so seriously in the broken statue and then do it kind of serious with some other aspects in, in this particular episode. 
It's not a bad episode. This no. is not this is not a stinker. This is not a bad episode at all. Uh, there's not a whole lot of Superman in it, but uh, but when he is there, it's really good. Right. Uh, he looms and, over a lot. He looms over a lot of this. Yeah, he looms over it. It's all about souvenirs, theoretically or supposedly created by Superman in some way, shape, or form. In the very opening scene, I think this is a fun thing that in the very opening scene of this show. It starts with a crime at the very end of the crime. They're shooting at him and that beautiful red cape. And it's just gorgeous red and the red boots. It's just beautiful red in my copy of it anyway. This almost jumps off the screen at you how red it is. It's beautiful. But uh, not a bad episode at all. Not a bad episode. No, I like this one. You know, as I was watching this one too, I thought of the, the broken statues, the mystery of finding them, finding what was in it. Especially when they thought of trying to figure out what was in the knives. Right. That's when I started thinking about the broken statues. Right. And that was kind of a clever twist on this, making even us, the viewer, think that, like everybody in this, there must be something in the knives. So right. getting Superman to use his x-ray vision on them. So, I, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I think these were two fun episodes to watch. But I enjoyed this one, too. Yeah. And, it, too. and you know, it almost seems like this episode kind of started at the end, with the, with the end of the crime. Exactly. Obviously, what's important here, this crime is not related nor do we know what these guys have done. Obviously, what this is getting us is to the crowbar. Is the crowbar, the souvenir. Right. Right. And I do the like that. And I do like that shot of him bending the crowbar around the guys. That's a memorable shot. Yes, it is. And it's in this shot, too. Like, right after they're talking, right after Superman's done kind of binding these guys up, Superman's costume looked really light in my in my copy. Uh, the blue? The, the blue. Yeah, the blue is lighter. It yeah. almost looked like, a, like, almost like a baby blue here, not the dark blue that we saw in... Uh, Right. Early in the season. Right. So maybe they're starting to adjust already. I think they, they might be starting to adjust them. I don't know if they've adjusted the costume itself or if they're playing around with the color correction. Yeah, I don't know either. Because they they tend to use the same costumes for a season. Right. And I think we'd have to do more. You know, I'd have to really look into it. I'm sure it's written somewhere when the costumes changed. Right. Uh, I thought there was the same costume per season. Right. And they would make several for the season. Right. Uh, but by the end of the season, you can tell the shows that were filmed late because the usually the S on his chest is just frayed and beat right. to crap. So, you know, on certain freeze frames or close-ups, you can just see that that uh, embroidered, hand-embroidered S emblem is uh, starting to come apart. I'm not sure. Season. I don't know if they're still hand-embroidered in the color episodes. Because the S's don't look like they fray as much in the color in the color costumes. Mm. Towards the end, you got to take a look. Did they do any close-ups on the night? No, they didn't do any close-ups of mm. it on this one. On no, the but S. you can always see that the in the black and white that the S's were fraying. Yeah, a little. But fraying you don't really see it as much now in the color. Mm-mm. So maybe I don't know. Maybe they've silk sc- they're silk screening them now. No, they were still patches. They were they still were patching still, them on. They were still patches. All of them, all throughout the entire series. They were all still patches, both the front and the KPS. Uh, they were never little, doing silkscreen. They were all patches. Maybe they're a little sturdier now. Yeah, maybe. Or they were just more careful with them. <laughs> and there were less episodes, too. And only 13 as opposed to 26, yeah. So, so. the costumes may not be getting et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. You handle the et cetera. Hot that raw <laughs> set on the real raw. All right. So... Apparently in this episode, because this episode is about souvenirs, Jimmy wants the crowbar. Wants the crowbar. Right. Because he thinks it'll make a good souvenir. And mm-hmm. here's where we get our first look at Mr. Willie looking very suspicious. 
<laughs> as he's running off with this crowbar. <laughs> Under his coat. Under his coat. <laughs> trying to make sure nobody sees him. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. So oh, I like that actor, though. I, just I think do. He's just really true. I love him a lot. He's just so funny. And he acts the same way that he's going to act as Professor Pepperwinkle. Oh, he's exactly the same character. Right. Exactly the same character, except this time he's a curio shop slash baker. Right. <laughs> so eventually he uh, settles on uh, a price of $25 for the crowbar. I did the math, and today's money, that's about $225. Wow. For a bent crowbar. You know? Actually, not bad. That's actually not bad. Really good Authentify that Superman did it. I mean, yeah. I can imagine if Superman existed in our world, that if somebody had a crowbar bent by him, you could probably get some serious cash for that on eBay. I, I think you could get some serious cash for that, yeah. Yeah. If you can prove that Superman did it. Right. How much Jimmy paid three and a quarter for a brick? Yeah, three quarter or three seventy five, one of the two. Yeah, three dollars and something for the brick. Yeah. Not gonna hurt my brain. About thirty dollars. Jimmy sees the bar in the window. And that gets him to go into the shop. Willie is a fast talker, and I'm not sure Jimmy can keep up. No. <laughs> no. He's trying to borrow on the crowbar, but Jimmy obviously doesn't have that kind of cash. He did a few episodes ago, but not on this one. Well, that's like a week's pay for Jimmy. for a crow? That's like a whole week. Yeah, you would think. I'm going to feel like that's a whole week for me now. (laughs) We know the crowbar is real because we just saw Superman bending it. But I'm starting to get suspicious of that brick. Yeah, me too. Only because once we find out what happens with the knives. Right. I was getting suspicious of the brick already. Were you? Uh, Yeah. He He was trying really hard to sell Jimmy that brick. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I thought the brick might have been legitimate early on until we find out that more than one person has the knife. Right. But we never see anybody else having the brick. Exactly. And we know that the crowbar was real. And we, and we know the crowbar is real, too. So. so there may have been other real Superman souvenirs. Right. So Jimmy shows back up at the planet office with the brick. The, all of a sudden, Lois and Jimmy kind of get into this... Uh, contest over who has the uh, the better Superman souvenir. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? They're actually sitting there and arguing about this. I'm thinking, does this episode come up short and they had to add this in? I just think it's modern day comic fans. Right. So, my collectible is more important than yours. Yes, it is. So, this is where we get our first shot of the bent dagger. And uh, Clark is uh, playing dumb and Jimmy is upset that Clark wrote the story that Jimmy blew off. While he was throwing around in the souvenir shop. Yep. This was a case where Jimmy probably was in a position to write a story. He was, yeah. And he blew it because he was chasing he was, the crowbar. Exactly. He was with Inspector Henderson when the thing came in. He was there with Superman. All right. But he would have still had to either call it in immediately or get back to the Daily Bennett. Because we know when Superman left, he was going back to the planet to write up the story. Oh, of course. And then all of a sudden, very conveniently, Mr. Jasper falls into Clark's office saying he was hit by somebody. Convenient, wasn't it? Yeah, very convenient. The Daily Planet shares office space, as Clark uh, indicates that Jasper's office was down the corridor. Right. I was trying to think at the time when they said that. I was trying to think if that had happened at any other time in these shows where where another company had their offices in the Daily Planet building. I don't know. Wow. I don't remember any other time other than this one, but... There's a, doc- there's a doctor's office from uh, that's well, true. Harry White Scoop. That's true, but I kind of got the feeling that was there for the planet employees. I thought so too, but 
Yeah, what more newspaper has a doctor on staff? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? You know. But uh, apparently they share office space with other companies. For all we know, the police station could be in there too. I don't think to get. I don't think the planet needs all those floors. Not for two offices. No. Well, three: Perry, no. Lois, and Clark. Right, and the city room. Occasionally, I guess they have shown uh, a city room, haven't they? Right. Yeah, they have shown that Jimmy has a desk somewhere. Right. So Jasper was hit by a big guy with a scar, and he. He was uh, playing with his paper knife, which is now gone. And it turns out that the knife is the same one uh, Lois bought. And uh, mm-hmm. we're catching Mr. Willie in a little bit of a lie here. We're also catching Jasper in a little bit of a lie here, too. Yeah, but we don't know that until later. We don't know that yet, right. But, yeah, there's something off about him. He's not selling it very well. Mm-hmm. So Clark wants to take a quick look at the knife, but Lois decides now is a good time to be petty. <laughs> and doesn't let him see it. And... Maybe it's a good thing she didn't. Because I'm pretty sure Clark wants to use his supervision on it. And, well, because you think that's the first thing he would do. But I don't think those are the the knives that Jasper wants him to x-ray. I think that's the, that's the puzzle that we have to try to backtrack and figure out. Because when Inspector Henderson at the end comes down with a whole bunch of knives he's found. Right. Those are the other ones that I think have been the souvenirs. Oh, the ones from upstairs? Yes. I think Jasper has had these other knives there the whole time. That was the trick. Get Superman to think there was something inside those other ones. Right. Okay. This is just a regular knife that has been bent. Right. I think that's the trick. Jasper has the the radium knives, we'll call them. He's already got them. They're not going anywhere except in his lab or studio or whatever. He came up with this somehow, this plot. To make, you know, to all those other bent knives to make people think they were stealing that. It's a right. double plot. So Kind of clever for a kid's show of the time. It is. The way they're framing this is that a lot of these knives are fake and we're looking for the real one. Exactly. That's kind of how they're framing it at first. Well, at first they're trying, is it actually a Superman souvenir or not? Was there? Apparently there was an original knife. Because Lois told the story about how the knife, you know, been off his chest. Right. And that's probably the story that Willie was telling everybody. Right. And that's the story that you mentioned before, that they said Clark that he remembered, but he, was, he wasn't there. Right, right. The spy. Right. Maybe he was looking at the knife to see if that was actually the knife. Could be. Maybe he'd recognize it. I don't know. He gets stabbed quite a bit. Yeah, he may not have recognized it. But I, I think the interesting part of this story is the fact that Jasper was planning this somehow from the get-go. Right. So how would he actually then get Willie to sell all those bent knives to then make people think that there are things inside those seven knives when he's got seven knives himself that he needs Superman to x-ray? See, so he had to set all this up somehow and get people to buy those knives from Willie. Willie would have to be in on it, but we never really got any indication. But Willie's not in on it. I don't think Willie was in on it other than bending the knot now maybe jasper said unless he got wind of willie selling all the fake knives that could be part of it maybe jasper figured out willie was selling the and and he says hey i can use this yeah and that's when he came up with the idea then okay that's a good no prize maybe we'll go with that that willie came up with the idea on his own to sell the fake knives right once jasper realized that Willie was selling multiple fake knives, that's when he decided to make his own bent knives to fall into that plan. Right. And then hire the scar guy 
Scarface to steal all the other souvenirs to make people think that there was something in that that they were looking for and then get Superman to use his X-ray vision on it. Right. So that keeps Willie, other than making fake souvenirs, that keeps him out of the loop of actually planning the crime. Right. And I'm also kind of curious about the real crime here. And I'm jumping ahead, I guess, before we get to the Ah, end of the synopsis. But the crime, I guess, is that it's illegal to make radium. I mean, what did what did Jasper actually do? Well, he paid Scarface to assault these people. Okay, so he's probably guilty for conspiracy, conspiracy to, to commit whatever assault, assault and or, battery or robbery of some right. kind. Okay, but they made it sound like at the end his crime was going to be for like creating radium illegally or something. Oh, it's against the law to get Superman to use his X-ray vision under false pretenses. <laughs> well, Superman can take care of that himself. <laughs> yeah. So I just think it was interesting that, you know, we had to, you know, walk back this thing to see who was involved and how, where the plot started. So I kind of like your, right. your no prize thing of that. That's when Jasper, seeing that Willie was selling a bunch of knives, came right. up with the idea. And also, point. not only conspiracy to commit assault, but a conspiracy to commit theft. Exactly. By stealing the knives. Stealing the knives and mugging or hurting the people that had the knives. And he's in possession of stolen property. So there are things they can charge him with. They can get him with, yeah. I'm I'm not sure if the radium is enough. Unless that's a controlled substance. I mean, could you have radium in your house right now? I don't know. I don't think so. Probably not. Could you have a nuclear fissionable material in your home? What would I do with a nuclear fissionable material? I, who knows? <laughs> I pro- Where were we? We were jumping Getting around. to the end of this. Well, we are kind of getting to the end of this. Uh, yeah. Clark does go into the shop because he wants to see what's going on. He asks uh, about the knife, and obviously we know that he's selling multiples. Uh, now we see how it's done with him putting it in the vice. So. And we again see the nice x-ray vision uh, effect. I think that was a real clever way. I think you mentioned it. The last time I was on. Yeah, it's my that. it's my favorite way of doing that. Yeah, I think they do a real nice job. A close-up of George Reeves' eyes, and he does a little squint, and then they just kind of do a binocular effect, superimpose yeah. what he is now seeing. Uh, I, I think that's just a really clever way of doing the x-ray vision. Right. And it's pretty funny seeing yeah. Willie, Willie bend those thighs yeah. back. Yeah. And then drop He's... it when Clark comes in. Yeah. That was such a funny yeah, little no, scene. No, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, such a great little scene. I didn't see the drill for the bricks, but I definitely saw the vice for the knives. (laughs) Right. So Clark is curious about the woman who was in there before, and apparently she bought one of the Uh knives, because of course she did. Right. And she's off to the side of the road in an accident, and her knife got stolen. More assaults. We learned that there have been more assaults over the, I guess, the course of a couple days, or a couple of hours. And Lois and Jimmy were lured back to her place by the report of a fire, but... Our scar-faced uh, friend was waiting for them. I thought it was interesting that Jimmy, it's like they got in the apartment, or at least in the building, before Lois and Jimmy says, well, there's no fire, there's no smoke. And yeah. Jimmy says, there's no fire trucks or anything else. Wouldn't you have noticed that? Outside? The outside? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're feeling a little bit slow today. Yeah. Well, again, indoor filming scene, right. plot, low budget. And this is where Jimmy gets his theory about there being a real knife or something in it. Superman just says, nope, that's not it. Right. <laughs> Every time Jimmy suggests something here, Superman or somebody shoots him down. <laughs> right. Poor Jimmy. 
So Clark walks around with his knife. He uh, gets knocked out, but Clark won't let go of the knife. So what, what do you do when you're when you, the unconscious person you have won't won't release the item that that you want? You just take the big guy with you. Yeah, why not? Why not? It's far too easy for this guy to get get Clark in his car than it should have been. Right. So when they get where they're going, Clark lets go of the knife and he gets kicked out of the car. Change into Superman. So they go in, get their million, they get, and then Superman catches up. Now I don't know if it was just my speakers, but did Robert Shane's voice sound a little off to you? Uh, I don't know. It wasn't. I did. It didn't jump out at me at, at the time. No, yeah, it just sounded a little bit different. Maybe he had a cold or something. I don't know. So anyway, we find out this house is Mister Jasper's house, and Superman spots the seven knives on the table with a Bunsen burner going. <laughs> so he's got some kind of chemistry experiment going here. Surefire way to show that he's doing chemistry. Got a Bunsen burner, some flasks, so test tubes. I don't know what he's trying to do here. If he's trying to make the radium himself, but he needs some help here, and he's very interested in whether Superman is going to X-ray the knives. Yeah, that should have kind of given stuff away right then because. Flash says, apparently you're going to use uh, your X-ray vision, and it's the most powerful it can be when I want it to be. Right, and then. You know, so he then says, oh, well, we should all get back out of the way then. Because right. it's going to be dangerous. It, it would not normally be dangerous just for Superman to use his X-ray vision to look through stuff. So that tells us all right away that, no, it's not going to be that dangerous. It's But there must be something with the knives that if you use X-ray on it, it's going to become dangerous. Right. Well, And only the what's-his-face knows it. I, I think w- interpretation of Superman's X-ray vision has changed over the years. Uh, a lot. I think in, in at this time, they're actually believing that he actually emits x-rays. Right. I think they've kind of retconned that to where he does not. That he could just see through things, and it's called his x-ray vision because of the see-through effect. Mm. I don't think now they actually say that Superman actually emits x-rays. You mean now, now? Yeah. Or like now, back in the year, back in the fifties day. No, back in the fifties, they're still saying he emits X rays from his eyes. Yeah, and it was still at this time in the comics, uh, heat vision was not even a real thing yet. It was the heat from the X ray vision. Right, and uh, when he says that it can be the most one of the most powerful X rays, that's kind of almost uh, an indirect re- reference to the heat of his X ray vision. Right. So obviously, we didn't see anything in the knives, but they disappear for a minute, then come back, and then we come out and. Now Henderson has found seven more. And I think those seven are the ones that were actually stolen from the people. Right. And not the ones on the table. Not the ones on the table. Ones on the table have been there. So that's why you have to go from this point. When Henderson finds the other seven, that's when you have to start backtracking all the way back to realize that, well, this guy must have set this thing up pretty early on. Came up with the idea of the knives. When did he do that? And where did he get the first seven knives that, that he had? Well, exactly. They had to come. Yeah, all of those things. So if he at the time when if we go with your idea that he got the idea when he realized that Willie was selling multiple fake knives, then he would have still had to go and make seven knives to look like those. Unless he bought seven orig- seven straight knives just the same and and bent them and bent them on, himself. Well, why would he have bought the seven knives unless? He had the plan in the beginning. So then you have to go and say, well, if his plan in the original 
his original plan was, I've got these knives and I need Superman to x-ray them to turn the metal alloy into radium. How do I get that done? Oh, I know. I'll get Willie, the Superman souvenir guy, to start selling these fake knives, which I will then keep track of and steal. And that's why he stumbles into Clark's office, because that's how he gets them to start the chase. Exactly. But that means he's the one who had to talk Willie into selling the knives first. That Willie didn't come up with the idea of selling fake knives himself. And then, what's the guy's name? Lassiter? Lasher? Flasher? Which guy? The the main guy. The main bad guy. The guy who... Jasper. Jasper. That Jasper came up with it originally. He would have had to have gotten Willie to sell the knives. Well, Willie can sell fraudulent... uh souvenirs on his own he's thought of that already so exactly maybe he was already selling the fraudulent lies from we don't know but that's the point that's the point how far back can you go right did willie start selling fake knives first and then jasper say "Ooh, this guy's selling fake knives i'll use the fake knife thing to get superman that means once jasper realized willie was selling fake knives and in order for him to get superman to x-ray his radium knives he had to make copies of the knives that Willie was selling. Or the other way is that he planned it from the very beginning, making seven knives out of the alloy that he wanted Superman to x-ray, then making seven other knives that he sold to Willie and said, use these to bend and make other things, which makes Willie part of the conspiracy, even not knowing that it the ultimate reason Jasper wanted him to sell the fake knives. So somewhere there's a disconnect. So it has to be, to make this logical almost, it almost has to be that Jasper sees that Willie is making the fake knives. Right. And, and then comes up with the idea, and then takes I'll make of my it. own fake knives to get Superman to x-ray. Right. But that- he'll have to steal the knives that Willie is making so somebody will believe there's something inside one of these knives that we want. Right, because he had to start a chase to get Superman to x-ray them. So, because somehow... Jasper, not Jasper, Willie selling the knives first is the only way that Willie is innocent. Innocent, exactly. And he's not arrested at the end of the episode, so they make it clear that he's not involved. In the conspiracy. Of In the, the conspiracy, radium, right. The radium conspiracy. But see, that does make this little leap, because time-wise, Jasper has to say, oh... Okay, he's making these fake knives that all these people are buying. I'll make seven more to put the radium in, and these seven are going to be identical. So does that mean that that's what he actually did was go to Willie himself, buy one of the knives, then make seven copies and do it in like 24 hours? Well, he could have prepared this for as long as it needed to take. But not unless he knew Willie was making the knives. That's right. the point. They're and- time-wise. Well, again, with this show in time, they do say the incident with the knife was about a month ago. That the original knife right. that stabbed Superman was about a month ago. Okay, but did are any of the seven knives that Inspector Henderson found that the guy had been stealing from all the other people, were any of those the actual real knife? Was there ever, did, was that ever formed or ever said that, no, it wasn't ever said that. It was never those, said that they found the real knife that Spice stabbed ever, Superman with. Ever, ever. No. So as far as we know, Willie could have taken the story that the knife that the guy uh, tried to stab Superman with. Right. This is the one. And he just made up. Said, Knowing that 
somebody did try to stab Superman and the knife bent. He decides, I'm just going to make a knife and sell it as the real thing. And then Jasper says, oh, this guy's making fake knives and selling them. That's the idea. I'll get blah, blah, blah and go from there. That's the only way it works it other than Willie being involved. Right. Which does mean, though, that Jasper had to make those seven radium knives pretty quickly. Yes, he did. Out of whatever special alloy he made them out of. Because we're, we're seeing that Jasper said he bought his knife that morning. Lois said she bought hers the day before. The woman in the car bought hers the very next day. Right. So there's three of the seven that were gone within two days. And then, and then there were three more assaults. So, so that brings us up to six. And all of them are within a few days of each other. Right. And then Clark is the seventh. And Clark is the seventh. Exactly. So Jasper had less than a week to make copies of the knife, make seven copies of right. the seven that were stolen to get Superman to come in to x-ray them. What would he have done if he hadn't come up with the idea? How else would he have come up with an idea to get Superman to x-ray the alloy? What else would he have done? That was it, I think. That was it. So his whole plan was he's created this thing, but it needs to be x-rayed with a powerful x-ray to turn right. it into radium. How am I going to get that done? Ooh, here's a guy selling fake knives. That gives me an idea. Yeah. So. A little thin. Little, it's, very, it's very thin. <laughs> but all in all, it still worked. I still enjoyed it. Yeah. It's like one of those math problems they give you when, you, when they don't give you enough information to solve the problem. Exactly. Well, they don't give you enough here. You just, again, it's one of those things you just have to go on. Right. You have to just kind of. What they tell you. Right. Right. Because Jasper didn't have anywhere near enough time to make seven copies of those knives. No. Unless he already had a supply of them. And how would he have done that? Unless he went to Willie, who had a. No, it doesn't matter. You can go over this thing several right. different ways. And almost all of them makes Willie an accomplice. Right. And so the only way to make Willie not an accomplice to the radium scam. Is if he's selling the knives first. Exactly. And then it only makes him just, you know, kind of guilty of selling fake souvenirs. Right. This is not a new idea, though, tricking Superman into using his X-ray vision on something. No, it's not. This is the second time it's been done on the screen. It was done in uh, the Atom Man serial in Chapter 5, where Mm. in order to power his main arc, Luthor needed plutonium. Mm. So he had Superman X-ray a box of special nails at the... Grand Central Station, and Superman's X-ray vision turns him into plutonium. Right. Very good. Happened a bit, a bunch in the comics. Yeah, I'm too. sure it did, too. Yeah. Tricking Superman to use his powers in one way or another. And I did like that when they, when Superman's showing Jimmy, that they turn the light off and they glow, kind of like the yeah. old uh, Superman in Exile effect. Right. So. And the oranges in the mole men. Right. The ball. So. Why Jasper led them to his house, I don't know, but... Maybe Jasper should have gotten rid of the old knives. I don't know, throw them in a fireplace or something. Yeah, probably should not have left that evidence around. He's kind of lying around up in his room. But it was funny. He was just so calm and everything. And Superman says, well, then I'd like one of those for a souvenir. And he just gives him one. And then he says, no, no, no. no, I want want one that I just x-rayed. Yeah, and he was horrified. Oops. Oops. Yeah, he was like, oh, no, no, you can't have that one. So now after this is all done, Superman goes and visits Mr. Willie. Who is now decorating a cake. <laughs> yeah. He changed that shop up awfully quick. Awfully quick. It's now a bakery. What do you do with that big spinning wheel that was over in the corner over there? I don't know. He spun it into a cake. <laughs> <laughs> All that crap that nobody wants. 
Superman kind of ends the uh, the business of at least of selling the Superman souvenir, even though Willie admires the cape. Oh God! As as truer words have never been spoken. What a great souvenir that would make. Yeah, that's true. I think and I, I don't know if it's that actual costume, but there is uh, a color costume and a black and white full costume in Metropolis, Illinois, in the museum there. And that costume will be traveling for a special luncheon coming up in March in Florida. And if I had money, I'd be at there. I was invited to this luncheon. bunch of fans of uh, the show. You know, the, you know, the what I've mentioned before, yeah, Jim Knoll. Jim Knoll, yeah. He has several gatherings a year, and they're having a special anniversary get-together luncheon in Florida at some point, I think in March. And the costumes will be there. And uh, I'd love to go because you get to touch them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, they're in a case. You don't get to touch them. They're going to be out of the case? They're going to be out of the case. I I wouldn't think they'd want to expose those things to, to the air. Well, not long, not long, but they're they're they will take them out of the case. I've got pictures. Well, I don't have pictures, but uh, Jim put some pictures up on the Facebook page of him holding the jersey and holding the cape. Nice. So, yeah, I'd like to touch that. It's raw silk, is what the cape is made of. Right. It's a very coarse kind of a silk, but it's very lightweight and it flows. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful cape. And as Superman is leaving, do you know why Mister Willie's wife is about to be upset with him? Because he's going to put both elbows in the cake? Yeah. So not only is the cake ruined, but she's probably going to have to do that laundry. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, such a fun, fun, fun little episode. I'm so glad that they bring this guy back for several times to play Pepperwinkle. Ah, yes, he is great as Pepperwinkle. He is so, so good as Pepperwinkle, both with the robot guy, the mechanical man, topsy-turvy. Just so many fun, fun episodes. He's got at least four. At least that I can think of, probably right off the top of my head without thinking. the one with the robot. Yep. Topsy-turvy. Yep. The big forget. Yep. And... All that glitters. That's at least All that four. glitters. There I you go. I don't know if, I, I don't know if there are any more. That's at least four. At least four. Which is probably the record for most time a guest star has appeared as the same character. As the same character. I was going to say probably, yeah, as the same character, yeah. I think Richard Reeves or Ben Weldon has the uh, the record for the most uh, right. appearances as a guest star. Right, right. But, yeah, he comes back several times as the same character. And, wow, just so good. Just so good. So good. Enjoyed him a lot. And we'll probably get into some of those in the relatively near future. Won't take long. 13 episodes a season. No. You'll, be, you'll be zipping through some of these. I'm actually going to be starting season four next week. Wow. As I'm at, I'll end season three with King for a Day. Okay. And then I'll open season four with Joey. Those will be two separate episodes, right? Or is the timing the way it works out doing two episodes? You'll be ending three I'm gonna and end, starting. I'm going to end three and start. Start four, four on the same episode. Yeah. Okay. It's an even number of total episodes. If I start getting cute, then I'll throw Gotcha. Gotcha. Understood. Understood. But yeah, pretty interesting, isn't it? It is. Pretty interesting, because you've zipped through season three here pretty quickly. Yeah. It's almost like we just did through the time barrier yesterday. It feels like it. Yeah, it was quick. wasn't that long ago. But... Uh, but yeah, but fun, good. This was a good one. These were two. Some people would say, "Oh, they're really silly. They're really stupid." That, blah, blah, blah. particularly the first one, the lemon meringue pie. Right. But like I said, I smiled through both of them. 
And this one, a nice little story that did make you scratch your head a little bit a little doing bit. the timeline, trying to figure out, okay, 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 are they just letting Willie go because he's kind of a goofy little nice guy? Yeah, pretty much. And Superman says, okay, no more. Don't do that anymore. Right. And it's basically, oh, no, 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 no more. No more. Don't do any more. No, no, no. No money in it. No profit. <laughs> yeah, right. Very dangerous. Yes. Yes. So where can the listeners find you? They can find me. Where do they find me? <laughs> at my usual stomping grounds over at the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Superman Forever Radio. The next episode will be Nurture or Nature. I'm taking a look at uh, is Superman Superman because of because he's just a good guy or because the Kents raised him well. Ooh, that That's an interesting, interesting question I've always thought. That is an interesting one. Because in the early Golden Age, Kents just didn't exist. I mean, right. they were mentioned, but they didn't exist. That was a Silver Age thing. When Superboy came along, that's when we got to know the Kents. But anyway, right. I'm going to be taking a look at that. So depending on when this hits, it'll either be the current episode is email, but I'm hoping to get the next one, Nurture or Nature, out in the next week. Anyway. That should sound like a good one. I'm looking forward it's to interesting it. Interesting concept. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's been done a lot. I mean, you know, writers have written. That's basically what Superman Under a Red Sun was. Right. What happens if if uh, the rocket lands in, uh, you know, Russia instead of the right. good old U.S. of A. So right. anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, that's where you can find me, supermanforever.com. And you can find the homepage for this show at manofscreen.podomatic.com. If you want to send in some feedback as... Dave McIlvaney did earlier in the episode. You can send that to manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. Just put the Man of Screen podcast in your search feed, and that should come right up. And you can find the show on Twitter. Handle is at manofscreencast. You can also leave uh, reviews on iTunes and Stitcher to help other people find the show, if you are so inclined to do so. So, till next time, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.